Welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brittany Brombacher, alongside the Sudafed queen, Christine Steimer. Oh no, they're going to flag my name in all of the drugstores around the United States. <laughs> You're like, hello, I have a cold. Can you please give me the drugs? And they'll and be like, say no. we've heard your song. No. Oh no, my we gosh. will not. We do not condone the use of Sudafed in such a lighthearted manner. It can be used to make methamphetamines i think that's what they make with it anyways yeah no um, no you're not wrong i know if you want to get certain sudafed you have to give your driver's license at least in washington yeah no you have to do that here too because the one time i got really sick and had my you know you all know you were listening to that podcast where i was real fucked up uh when you said god of war was a fine game you know what it was fucking fine at the time (laughs) i stand by that (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh, so good. I was telling Steimer before we started shooting the show that that damn Sudafed song of hers has been stuck in my head all weekend long. And from the responses on Twitter, it sounds like I'm not the only one. You, you dropped a sick beat, Steimer. In, enjoy. <laughs> I I lost it just because I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like in my own head was like, what are you fucking doing? You are making the next big hit. Wow, apparently. That's- Securing that job security. Kanye, give me a call. Well, Apparently I dropped sick beats. I don't know. Does he do <laughs> sick beats anymore? I'm not sure. I'm not hip to know. the to the new haps. Yeah, I'm not hip and cool with it much myself anymore. So let's look at this housekeeping we have for the What's Good Games podcast. Obviously, Andrea is not here. She is at Dice right now. And I believe the Dice Awards are tonight. I think that is correct. Also, yes, to clarify, DICE meaning the the developer awards, not DICE in Sweden. Yes. I've seen some confusion about that on Twitter. And I'm like, are you really confused or are you just being cheeky? Well, I think some people don't legitimately know that DICE is a – if you are not in the industry, DICE is not a thing you would necessarily be aware of. Yeah, that's true. So she was hosting – I think her roundtable was today. So we'll have to ask her how that went, if she'll tell us. I don't know if we're cool enough to have that classified information. I also and a lot don't of know. those, a lot of those talks are off the record, but. Oh, are they? Yeah, yeah, they're not streamed. I don't think there's a schedule even really announced unless you're going. I think it's just a place for people to have honest and real conversations about certain things. In Vegas? In Vegas. You always get good conversations. Get you fucked up and have a off the record conversation. Sounds lovely. Sounds great. But other than that, she will be back next week. I will be gone next week. I will be. Y'all are, in Maui. y'all are taking turns. We're taking turns. Taking turns okay. with me. <laughs> I'm only going to be gone. First time. I'm only going to be gone one week. I'll be back the next week. And then we can hold hands and frolic together in the internet. Yes. Other than that, PAX East is March 28th through March 31st. And our What's Good Games live panel is Thursday, March 28th at 6.30 p.m. in the Bobcat Theater. Wow. I'm ex- It'll be... Oh, that was a good Bobcat sound. One more <laughs> Thank time. Thank you. One wow. more time for the kids. 
Yeah, the kids are back. <laughs> uh, yeah, so unfortunately, we've seen a lot of um, responses from people in our community that they won't be getting in until Friday. So you might miss the panel on Thursday, but we should be able to actually record it this time. I don't think we've done an actual panel where we've successfully recorded our um, discussions. Because we keep saying we're going to record it. So we should say we are not recording this. And then if we do record it, it's a like nice surprise and delight moment for everybody. But if we don't, then it's just, you know, par for the course. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think we have a new piece of equipment we're going to be using. So, oh, well, we all know how, how well equipment (laughs) like they work very well for us. That sounded good in my head. And then I was like, wait a minute. That does not mean anything. But the point I was getting at is we will be hosting a meetup at some point during PAX East. So if you can't make it to our panel, sad, sad days, but we will be um, scheduling something somewhere in some capacity where we could all just hang out and take drinks and be silly and take drinks. I was I wasn't gonna say anything. Samra, you gotta call me out. Let you roll with it. No, no, no. When I drop bullshit like that, I went to say take photos and have drinks. I was gonna say take drinks. (laughs) You know what? I'm gonna take a drink from you. I'm just drink photos. I'm gonna take your drink. (laughs) Take your drink and have photos. It'll be great. We also have a Patreon, two Patreon streams. Saturday, February 23rd. This is our happy hour Q and A live stream, as well as our after hour stream where we will play video games with you. Rumor is that we're gonna be playing anthem so actually i don't know if we'll be able to play with other people i was gonna say i don't think we're playing games with you but we are playing games yeah we might be able to fit one into our little squad but we'll see how that goes that is what she said (laughs) as a matter of fact and speaking of on march 16th we're hosting a live stream for everyone and we're going to be announcing some new patreon changes that'll be coming and they're very exciting and nothing too crazy. We're not, we're not breaking the mold here. So we're not trying to do anything too out of, uh, the realm of possibilities. So that'll be fun. Also, Steimer just recently uploaded a vlog to patreon.com slash what's good games where you talked about boy love anime. Yeah, I did. It's great. Yeah. It's wholesome. I liked it. It was a good vlog. And you know, obviously this is for patrons only, but it was, uh, it was fun. I didn't know you were a big boy love fan. You know, uh, this only occurred within the last six months when, oh, okay. when, uh, Cindy showed me Yuri on Ice. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. I remember you and Yuri, Yuri, Yuri on Ice. I've never seen that. Oh my God. You should watch it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I'm not surprised that you haven't seen it. You don't, you don't watch a lot of things. Well, I watch anime. Oh, that's true. You do. I do. It's typically when I'm on a treadmill. Like, mm. I want to watch something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe you can introduce me to the... Oh, girl, i show you. I got show you. Some of the boy love. All right, so we'll actually start talking about video games pretty soon. But first, I want to tell you about our first sponsor, GOAT. If you're buying speakers on... Speakers. Let me start over. Because GOAT is not about speakers. It's about sneakers with an N and not a P. If you're buying sneakers online, there's more than a coin flip's chance that the shoe you're looking at is fake. How can you be sure it's real, Steimer? Well, Goat.com is the safest way to buy and sell authentic sneakers online. They're the largest marketplace in the world for authentic Yeezys, Jordans, and over 600,000 sneaker listings. They've made the whole process frictionless and trustworthy. They do this by only accepting sellers with the best reputation and by verifying all sneakers to ensure their authenticity for buyers. Every detail is inspected from the stitching and color to the size and weight. Goat certifies that every pair of sneakers on their site matches exact factory specifications. 
With over half a million sneakers on the platform and 10 million users, you won't find a better place for verified 100% authentic sneakers anywhere else. Find the perfect 100% authentic sneaker at goat.com slash good games. That's goat.com slash good games. Plus, you'll also be supporting our show, but you've got to go right now before the sneakers you want are gone when you go to goat.com slash good games, spelled G-O-A-T dot com slash good games. Now, Steimer. Mm-hmm. I saw you post a picture of some fancy-ass shoes. Was that last night? Yeah. Okay. What were those? Those are Timberlands. <laughs> okay. And they're called Ice Cream? Well, uh, the Timberlands released Ice Cream Edition. They're limited edition Timberlands that are... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know why they... They they have, like, little, quote-unquote, sparklies at the bottom, so it looks like sprinkles. Uh, the other Ooh. ones are, like, purple. I didn't want the purple ones. I got the gray ones with, like sort of sherbet uh orange looking accent colors oh goodness so i saw that photo and i was like oh that's cute and i kept scrolling wow well, last night you didn't even give I know, me a like i i should have but i was in a real lazy mood <laughs> i should have i was a bad friend and i apologize so last night i had this dream and i completely forgot about the picture last night i had this dream that i had these really cute pink timberlands and i was like oh my god these are so cute. And I dreamt of, it, it seemed like it was a long dream where I was just so excited to be wearing them. <laughs> they were like these baby pastel pinks. And cause you know, I'm trying to, to expand my horizons when it comes to clothes. You know, I talk about stitch fix all the time and what they're introducing me to. And same with goat. They have a lot of awesome shoes on their site. Cause all I have are, you know, I have a few pairs of Chucks and I have some Zelda shoes and Mario shoes. Nothing they, wrong they with that. They have those on there. Oh, well, see, there you go. They have me covered. So I'm just trying to expand my horizon. So I had this dream about these pink shoes, and I was so excited about them. And then I woke up and realized it was a dream. And then your picture from last night popped back into my timeline. I'm like, that's where I got that from. Because it was yeah, it so did, cause it was random. so popular. <laughs> oh, my God. No, you had you made me dream about shoes that I now want in real life, and I don't know if they exist. And I'm um, you can it. make custom Timberlands. Oh, also, we should apparently get them to sponsor this show. Apparently. I didn't know you could do that. Shoe, the shoe world, man. I thought video games were confusing. Shoes. Oh, Shoes. this is going to be an awkward segue. I know. I know. So, <laughs> so I wanted to get kind of the, um, upsetting news over with because later on we have some Nintendo stuff to talk about. And in that regard, today was a day for Brit in the sense that some amazing games got announced that made me very tingly in the nether, in the nether regions. So let's just get this sad, unfortunate story uh, tackled from the get-go. So Activision Blizzard has laid off hundreds of employees. This write-up comes from Jason Schreier at Kotaku. So this uh, went live Tuesday the 12th. Publisher Activision, Activision Blizzard has begun its long-rumored layoff process, informing employees this afternoon that it will be cutting staff. On an earnings call this afternoon, the company said that it would be eliminating 8% of its staff. In 2018, Activision Blizzard had roughly 9,600 employees, which means that nearly 800 people are now out of work. On the earnings call, Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick told investors that the company had, quote, once again achieved record results in 2018, but the company would be consolidating and reconstructuring because of missed expectations for 2018 and lowered expectations for 2019. The company said it would be cutting mainly non-game development departments and bolstering its development staff for franchises like Call of Duty and Diablo. Development sources from across the industry told Kotaku this afternoon that the layoffs have affected Activision Publishing, Blizzard, King, and some of Activision Studios, including High Moon. 
At Blizzard, the layoffs appear to have only affected non-game development departments, such as publishing and esports, both of which were expected to be hit hard. Quote, over the last few years, many of our non-development teams expanded to support various needs, Blizzard President J. Allen Brack said in a note to staff around 1 p.m. that was obtained by Kotaku. Currently, staffing levels on some teams are out of proportion with our current release slate. This means we need to scale down some areas of our organization. I'm sorry to share that we will be parting ways with some of our colleagues in the U.S. today. In our regional offices, we anticipate similar evaluations subject to local requirements. The letter also promised, quote, a comprehensive severance package, continued health benefits, career coaching, and job placement assistance, as well as profit-sharing bonuses for the previous year to those who are being laid off at Blizzard. So Blizzard employees receive twice-yearly bonuses based on how the company performed financially. Quote, there's no way to make this transition easy for impacted employees, but we are doing what we can to support our colleagues, Brack wrote. Meanwhile, in a press release to investors this afternoon, Activision CEO Bobby Kotick wrote, quote, with our financial results for 2018, while our financial results for 2018 were the best in our history, we didn't realize our full potential. To help us reach our full potential, we have made a number of important leadership changes. These changes should enable us to achieve the many opportunities our industry affords us, especially with our powerful owned franchises, our strong commercial capabilities, our direct digital connections to hundreds of millions of players, and our extraordinary talented employees. Now, they also made some game announcements that we'll talk, well, not made. They had talked about certain games we'll talk about in a second. But, Steimer, what mm. do you think of all this? I mean, there's just... Uh... A lot. I don't. <laughs> there's a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it business is hard in general. This business is rough, especially. It's rough on people who work here. Studios close all the time. There are usually layoffs. It's a very tumultuous industry, and I, I, I don't remember exactly where I was saying this, but I mean, it's a, it's a discussion we've had. On, many times before i think industry-wide of how do you retain talent when this is a norm when they're yeah they're there this is a reality of almost any studio you work at and you have to if you have a family uh uproot everybody potentially move somewhere far away in order to continue doing your work and it's just hard and so eventually you would turn out right like why would you Mm -hmm. continue to do that to not only yourself but your loved ones um so anyway so that's part of it the other part is it's distasteful to talk about how much money you make when you are then going on to lay off a whole bunch of people however it also, if those people didn't necessarily have a purpose in like they they didn't build their product pipelines out in a way that supported, um, keeping them around. Right. And then they also just mm-hmm. severed ties with destiny and it's hard. Cause on one end it's just, I mean, it's just shitty. The whole thing is shitty. <laughs> I don't really know. There's nothing you can say to really make it better. Um, mm-hmm. but when your product pipelines do not line up, then it, this does become a thing where you then no longer can support the amount of people that you have um, because you can't really just employ people to just sit around if there's nothing for them to do. Right. And speaking on that, um, 
not to interrupt, but this goes off of what you're saying. Jason Schreier also posted something today on Wednesday the 13th that's called the follow of Activision Blizzard's massive layoffs. And I would encourage you to go give that a read. There's a lot of really interesting information there because he has talked with a lot of people that have been affected by this. And he talks about um, specifically regarding Activision. He says people were laid off at Activision's main office in Santa Monica, California, where an entire team of Destiny publishing staff had been coming to work with nothing to do. Some were laid off. Some were moved to Call of Duty or other teams. Some in other departments were also laid off. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it sucks. And I think I think the reason that you said this just comes across incredibly dis distasteful because you see all of these uh you know i think they said kotick made 30 million dollars last year and you see all these big bonuses being passed around and running a business is complicated and i know giving people bonuses of that magnitude is to keep them around is so the company continues to run as smoothly as it can but like you said it was just a very distasteful way of you know it comes across like hey you have all of this money right can you why find- couldn't you have figured out something to do with these people and i think that the answer to that is activision is trying activision blizzard is trying to consolidate like they said and i think their strategy going forward is less games but let's reinvest in the ones that we know perform well for us you have call of duty crash just announced that it sold 10 million units you know and what new positions can you create to employ these people and I think that's where this kind of disconnect is coming across between the business side of it and then the messaging side of it. You know, it yeah, just I mean, looks really bad. Just on any level, there's there's obviously business numbers and then there's the emotional side of it, which is this feels shitty and it feels terrible even if you didn't get laid off when you work there. Um, and obviously feels significantly worse if you did get laid off. And mm-hmm. it's just an unfortunate reality and yeah i mean i don't know really what more there is to say about it except that you know they're the the only kind thing that i see a lot of is there are definitely the industry for all its faults does like to take care of each other if you have been affected by layoffs i would encourage you to go on twitter i've seen so much support there people uh mitch dyer i believe has a, a thread where it has, it's just a dock and it has job openings everywhere. Um, but again, that kind of goes back to my very first point is like, it does suck that now all of a sudden you have to uproot your life and move somewhere else potentially. But, right. um, at the same time, having a job is nice. Yeah. Uh, so if you are looking, I would, I would suggest you, you do that for, Here's the interesting part. So, uh, for the blizzard things, for the blizzard, for the blizzard things, for the blizzard, (laughs) I didn't mean things, employees, what I meant to say, Mm -hmm. um, they seem like they're, I guess it confuses me that it's so specific saying late, those laid off at blizzard. So does that mean that those laid off at Activision did not get career coaching or job placement assistance? Yeah, I don't know. Obviously, that sucks. Like if, and that would be. So I know, I know contractors didn't get the severance package, but I legally, I I don't think they have to. Right, of course, and I think this kind of comes down to again, if you look at a company like you, a company like Ubisoft, right, where I feel like they never have layoffs. I can't remember the last time I heard a story about Ubisoft having layoffs. And you know, I think what they do is they find work or they'll they'll place you. Now, granted, they're different companies. 
And I know they run their things completely different, but it again comes down to that perception. And then if you look at Iwata, what he did when he was still alive back in 2011, I think he took a 50% pay cut when the 3DS price was slashed and it wasn't performing well. He took a 50% pay cut. I think Miyamoto took a 20 to 30% pay cut. And then just back in 2014, they also, back when the Wii U was performing like shit, they all once again took a huge pay cut to try to support their employees because they wanted to, they felt responsible. They wanted to face that uh, burden on their own and not have it trickle down. So I, yeah, yeah, I think, I think, um, that there's something to be said for that, but also Nintendo has like the most, like they're sitting on a on a dragon pile of gold. Not to say that Activision is not. They have they are doing they fine. They have money. They got yeah. money. Um but I think for for certain instances of this there was just no getting around it. And for that oh, no. for that no. like esports in particular. If if for whatever if Blizzard has decided esports are not a thing that they are going to continue to invest in. Like, so here's what here's do you what's then going turn on those with- people into? So this is what's going on with uh, Blizzard specifically. And this is, again, from Jason's The Follow of Activision Blizzard's Massive Layoffs article on Kotaku. Blizzard just hasn't produced many new games of late, increasing tensions with management in Santa Monica. Since the beginning of 2018, as Kotaku has reported previously, the mandated Blizzard has been to cut costs and produce more games. To those who worked outside of Blizzard's development teams in departments like publishing, esports, QA, and IT, it felt like last year the axe was about to fall. After all, if Blizzard was looking to develop more games without spending more money, they need to lose headcount in a non-game development department. But management said nothing, with no union or other methods for collectively communicating Oh, for collect, yeah, collectively communicating with executives, employees were left with nothing but whispers. So last night, the picture at Blizzard became clear. Support teams had been gutted. The layoffs were the largest in non-development departments like IT and QA, according to those who were there. The esports department was hit hard, as many within Blizzard had expected. After all, it had been led by Amy Morheim, wife of Mike, the longtime Blizzard CEO who left the company last fall. She departed around the same time. The two Morheims were seen as big advocates for esports, and basically, as soon as they left, people thought the department was in danger. Blizzard's publishing department, which is comprised of PR, marketing, community, and other game support divisions, were also hit hard. I find that interesting because, like, you you do need those people. I mean, maybe there's just more of them that work there still. I don't mean, I don't know the I don't know how they're structured, but um, it takes a village, as they say. And yeah. I don't think I hope that Activision and Blizzard's lesson here is not that. PR and marketing and all those things are expendable uh, because those are definitely, yes, you need a good product at the end of the day, but those are the people who help get those products to your consumers. Oh yeah. They're integral. They're on the back end. You don't really ever hear of them, but without them, you don't have the product. And not only that, like QA, hello, you need to to test your games. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, like you were saying, layoffs just fucking suck. And it's really sad and fortunate. And I hope everyone affected finds, you know, something where they can stick their feet to be happy for a while. It, this is just an unfortunate side of business. You know, this happens. Businesses are always trying to become efficient and optimize and widen those profit margins. And yeah, I mean, Oh, sorry. No, continue. No, no. I'll say that's kind of the bottom line at the end of the day when you have investors to report to you and uh, numbers to report, and it it sucks. I think what you just hope for is a good severance package, and you hope for at least some sort of heads up. Granted, with this quiet period, they couldn't legally talk about these things that were going to happen, and it's just yeah, it's just a shitty situation. 
Yeah. I think, um, particularly in this industry too, a lot of people, uh, I think overly attach to a company. Um, mm. and I think in general, just love what you do, but don't necessarily give all you've like, don't sell your soul for a company. If that makes sense. Cause it's not going to yeah. be the same for you. Like that company can't, can never love you back. That's true. It's the world of business, man. But again, just kind of put a pin in this particular conversation. We hope everyone finds something quickly. And like Samara was saying, it was really heartwarming to see everyone on Twitter specifically band together and post all these job openings. You had all sorts of companies saying, hey, we're hiring. This is what we're looking for. Get in touch. DM me. So there's a lot of opportunity there on Twitter. It's probably hard to immediately hop into the job searching world, but uh, it's there for you if you need it. Yes. All right. So more Activision Blizzard news and shenanigans. This comes from Blizzard via Polygon. Blizzard has no major game planned for 2019. So Blizzard Entertainment has no, quote, frontline release planned for the 2019 fiscal year. The company announced during its quarterly earnings call with investors, meaning there won't be any new titles in the next 12 months, including a long-hoped-for mainline entry into the Diablo franchise. (laughs) So sad. Okay, quote, we expect materially lower financial performance this year, said Activision Blizzard President Collister Cotty Johnson on the conference call, during which company Brass discussed its 2018 fiscal year earnings. Quote, 2018 benefited from the release of World of Warcraft Battle for Azeroth, whereas we are not planning a major frontline release for 2019. Whether that precludes the upcoming mobile game Diablo Immortal or World of Warcraft Classic, the re-release of the MMO's original pre-expansion version is unclear. But with both playable at BlizzCon 2018, it seems it seems that these games may not be counted as frontline. We've reached out to Blizzard for further I details. think that's a pretty safe assumption. <laughs> Because yeah. especially at, given the reception at BlizzCon of poor Diablo uh, Immortal, I would say yeah. they are very careful with how they will uh, promote that game moving <clears throat> forward. Yeah, this uh obviously it's a bummer. I mean, big Diablo fan here. Samir, are you a big Diablo fan? I know Andrea is. I like Diablo a lot. It was the okay, yeah. it was the game I uh, had a land party for in high school. That's fucking awesome. You're <laughs> such a badass. Not really. Uh, but. I no, I think you are. So yeah, I mean, I guess this is kind of sad for us fans. And also, they didn't talk about Warcraft Reforged, which is the uh, remaster of Warcraft Three. So I'm assuming that isn't considered a frontline game as well. But I said it before. I'm gonna play Diablo Immortal, but like at least they're setting expectations now. I guess like it's not gonna be that great of a year for us. It happens. I mean, they need to in order to keep their financials in check. Yeah. Um, Because if you don't say that, and then the financial performance is dipped, that causes even more uncertainty, which causes more churn. Anyways. Yeah, and you know, as we've seen, and specifically in the past couple weeks, a lot of these forecasts have just been overshot by quite a bit, right? The switch under fucking EA way under. Everyone's so. just like real confident in themselves. <laughs> Everyone's like we're going to sell so much. Uh, everyone like, yeah, I don't I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's Fortnite's in everyone's tap water, but everyone's gotten real big for their britches. <laughs> So speaking of more Activision stuff, and then we're going to move on. Call of Duty's 2019 game will have a campaign. I feel like we were just talking about this last week. With, we were. With, with Battle, what was it? Oh, with Black Ops 4 and how, yeah. I wanted yeah, well, we were talking about Battlefield versus uh, Black Ops and how 
just because it didn't have a can a traditional campaign, it didn't really seem to impact the sales. That's true. And that's for, at least over. as far as we could tell. Granted, Activision has not released any specific numbers. They've only released profit. <clears throat> and we did all of our awesome math. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> it's the world's worst so math. bad. All right, so as part of Activision Blizzard's earning report, the company announced that a new Call of Duty game is coming out in 2019. It also confirmed the return of a key feature absent from last year's entry. Activision management offered some very high-level insight on the game, saying it will appeal to veterans and newcomers alike. The company added that the game is a, quote, great step forward for the franchise, going on to say that it's rooted in Call of Duty's history, which suggests it will be a sequel to an existing sub-brand. Also during the call, Activision management confirmed the new Call of Duty will feature some kind of campaign, which is notable because Black Ops 4 did away with the traditional campaign. Whether or not the new Call of Duty returns to the traditional campaign remains to be seen, however. Whatever the case, Activision also confirmed the new game will have a, quote, huge, expansive multiplayer world, as well as fun co-op gameplay. That's good for you. That's so good for me. More details are expected in the coming months. Activision has high expectations for the game, though it's predicting that sales of the mysterious game will be lower than 2018's Black Ops 4. The Black Ops franchise is historically the best-performing Call of Duty sub-brand, so a year-over-year downturn in sales is expected. So, blippity-blops. Everybody loves COD blops. Girl, that's amazing. What? I don't know. That little, that's a little jingle. It's oh. like a, something you can drop every time we talk about we always, Call of Duty. We always call it Cod Blops. <laughs> Cod Blops. That's like the most undignified game for like one of the best sellers in the industry. So I have some transcriptions that I did not, I did not pull these myself, oh, but okay. this is about the Call of Duty campaign and how much they really are hyping this thing. So this comes from Rob Kostich, president of Activision. And he says, it's going to feature an entirely new campaign, a huge and expansive multiplayer world, and of course, some fun co-op gameplay. But from day one, what gets me really excited is every time we've shown this title internally, it just creates a ton of buzz. Now, I wish I could tell you a lot more right now, but unfortunately, you're going to have to wait. But I think it's going to be really worth it. We can't wait to share with the world. Then Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick chimed in as well to provide some additional hype for this year's game. He says, in recent memory, he's never seen this much enthusiasm for a new call of duty game internally he says and i'll just say you know when you look at over the last decade of call of duty content i think that rob is underselling what the internal enthusiasm is i haven't seen this much enthusiasm that i can remember almost ever so we're excited about the fall release of call of duty content but we're not so excited about it that we think it'll do better than black ops i know, <laughs> I, know I, thought, I thought that was pretty fucking funny i was like oh god this is gonna be great just not as great just not as good as blops i mean so this kind of brings up an interesting question. Um, what do you think this means for Blackout, Call of Duty's Battle Royale mode? Because right now it's locked behind Black Ops 4. Mm-hmm. I would imagine, to keep it relevant, that you either have to... Do you include it on every Call of Duty game going forward as like just like a free bonus? Or do you offer it as a separate standalone product? Like, What do you do in this case? I mean, I don't know what they're going to do, but I could see what it. What would you do, Steimer? If you were Bobby Kotick. I Kotick. Do. Granted, I haven't played Blackout, so this is going to be... Uh, okay, close your eyes. You are Bobby Kotick. Relatively you uninformed are, opinion. but you uh, are No, no, no. I want you to get in the mode. You are Bobby Kotick. You are sitting in a chair full of money. There is money raining from the sky as if it were a torrential downpour. And you're like, what am I going to do? 
rub your beard oh my god i would i don't even know if he has a beard i would quit my damn job i would go (laughs) move to an (laughs) island and i would never talk to another human being (laughs) i feel like we were just playing D &D and you just hard pivoted where i was going with that that was good Uh, uh, yes, that's like when we were playing D and D in Boston. You guys were all talking, and I was like, "I leave, <laughs> I leave this group." <laughs> that's that what so my good. character would do. Anyways, um, uh, what were we talking? Oh, so what? I mean, yeah. it's hard because you could technically just pull blackout out, probably, and be like, "It's a free to play thing. Here you go." Um, mm-hmm. figure out microtransactions in it. I'm assuming it already has them. Again, I haven't touched it. So this is an uninformed opinion. Uh, but then the trouble there is, does that then cannibalize your other releases? So I don't know what they're going to do with this. I'm curious to see because each of the studios takes turns and each has their own spin on things and the way that they like to do things. Um, so we shall see. And I am very curious because, uh, Black Ops, I believe was still the last Black Ops was like continued to be played even to this day, probably like it's oh, yeah. ridiculous. The amount of people who oh, yeah. love blippity plops, blippity plops is the best card. <laughs> apparently it's the best. Yeah. It'll be interesting because I feel like to keep this game relevant, let's say it has a really good run and you know, a year and a half from now, are people still going to have to buy blops? What do you, what do you call it? Blippity blops. Blippity blops four in order to get blackout. That just seems really silly and a weird business decision, but who knows? Uh, I'm yeah, excited know. about, I'm excited about a campaign of, in Call of Duty. I, I do like my, my little four to five hour campaigns. Cause they, and I suck at them. I'm really bad. It's always baby ass baby mode, but they're so immersive and so cinematic. And I loved World War II. I thought that you never played that one, right? Or did you? I played parts. I've, oh, again, okay. the, the last one I finished was Modern Warfare. Oh, that's right. We talked about this last week. And Cause I, I started forgot. Modern Warfare 2 and never finished it. And I've started a whole bunch of campaigns and never, even though they're short, I won't finish them cause I don't find them interesting. Oh. Well, there you go. I don't, I don't like a lot of straight, first person shooter gameplay it just bores me although like the linear stuff you yeah. like to be able to go out and yeah. i need i need I something I, i'll do it for a few hours it's fun and then i'm like okay i'm done i did the thing well, there you go. i did it again don't make a campaign for steimer she won't play it yeah it's not for me it's for everybody else for which is fine you may have it's things fine. steimer do you want to take on our next gaggle of news sure sony playstation sony stuff playstation um so PlayStation boss says E3 hasn't kept up with the changing industry. Sony's decision to forego E3 2019 caused waves, and the statement regarding its rationale revolved mostly around finding, quote, inventive opportunities to engage the community and plans to, quote, think differently and experiment. SIE Worldwide Studios head Sean Layden has now explained further, touching on not only what they plan to do differently in the future, but why E3 was no longer useful. Layton told, I mean, I don't disagree with him. Uh, (laughs) I love E3, but he's bringing up some interesting points. Layton told CNET that the nature of E3 has been built up around standards that no longer apply, both for retailers and journalists. At its inception, the show had been a place for retailers to plan their stock and for journalists to plan cover stories for magazines. In the now modern era, he says, both of those have shifted. Quote, now we have an event in February called Destination Destination PlayStation, that's a mouthful, where we bring all the retailers and third-party partners to come hear the story for the year, he said. 
Quote, they're making purchasing decisions in February. June now is just too late to have a Christmas holiday discussion with retailers. So retailer, so retail has really dropped off. And journalists now, with the internet and the fact that it's 24-7, there is game news, uh, that's lost its impact around that. So the trade show became a trade show without a lot of trade activity. The world has changed, but E3 hasn't necessarily changed with it, he added. Against all of those market forces, Sony was making a plan to do fewer and bigger games, which meant that June was no longer a good time in the year to outline its latest plans. Quote, we feel like if we ring the bell and people show up here in force, people have the expectation, oh, they're going to tell us something. That's, you know, yeah. It's true. It's pretty spot on. Uh, the idea of setting expectations echoes Layton's rationale for skipping PSX in 2018, which was announced before Sony pulled out of E3 as well. We don't know yet when Sony will be outlining its own upcoming plans or in what form. It follows big publishers like Activision and EA who have scaled back their E3 plans in recent years. Sony's show in 2018 was also very different, focusing narrowly on just four games, also hurting people through like cattle. That's what... <laughs> Dude, that was so weird. It was really <laughs> weird. For its part, Microsoft seems eager to fill the void left by its biggest console competitor. Xbox head Phil Spencer has said the company is going to, quote, go and be as big at E3 as we've ever been. Um, so yeah, Brittany, oh, as somebody who has attended a lot of E3s, what do you think? Oh, man. Okay. So... There's a lot here. Now, I love E3. In fact, when I first started my venture into the gaming industry, the only goal I had in mind was I want to get into E3 on my own credentials. Like, once I did that, I thought I would have made it. I would have been satisfied. So, and E3 is, so E3 has always held a very, very special place in my heart. And I love the energy of E3. Can you tell I'm buttering it up for a hard pivot? Oh, yeah. I, I, <laughs> pivot, girl, pivot. I, I the love place. I love E3. I love the energy of E3. I think it's important for the industry to have a lot of media in one place. And I think the hype and the wave of everything going on and all the attention it brings to the industry. I mean, our E3 coverage is some of our most watched and consumed coverage we do on What's Good Games. So it's important and I still think it's relevant. However, I think he does make a good point and it's a valid point that you know, when was the last time Nintendo held a press conference at E3? I think it was 2013. And now they do their little mini Nintendo Directs like we're going to cover here in a hot minute. You know, and look at EA pulling out and kind of doing their own thing on the side. To be you fair, though, the EA pulling out was like kind of a... <laughs> Sorry. I had no, to. that was a good one. That was a good one. Thanks. Um, EA left. <laughs> and I had to rethink that for it. Uh, left and didn't do too much differently. They're just no, you're not, not wrong. on. They're just not at LACC, which is kind you're of right. bizarre. But Nintendo, I think, is a better example of we are technically they're at E3, but they aren't doing the same song and dance. Everyone is at E3. They yeah, you- they found a way to make it make more sense for them in their business, which I appreciate. Yeah, you're right. So you, you have, Nintendo has a presence at E3. They just, and they have their direct press conference, you know, usually that Monday or Tuesday, to use that Tuesday. And now, you know, last year Xbox wasn't on the show floor, but they did have their press conference, but they had the thing outside in the Microsoft theater, right? They did have a mixer presence, I think, on the show floor. And PlayStation did something really weird. Like Simon said, they herded cattle for their weird press conference. However, we did get the Resident Evil 2 announcement. So therefore, I'm forever grateful for that press conference. So good. So yeah, it's things are changing for sure. And we do have events like PAX 
and other things going on where you can kind of get the same sort of kind of thing out of it, right? Totally. It's just with E3, it's just been historically for the industry, the place where you announce all of the big things. You bring most of the media into one spot, whereas with PAX and PAX West and PAX East, I think some media tend to, uh, you know, skip those events because typically you don't have the news drops that you have at E3. So yeah, we're kind of in a weird spot. I think it's, I think it's an interesting point that he's making about how E3 hasn't tried to change going with it. I will say they have tried to change. I just don't know that they've changed in the way that makes sense for publishers. So them trying to essentially become more of a public show. So right. they, instead of leaning into how do we make this more impactful for a trade purpose, went, we're going to be sort of a community show, but not really. And like, because now similar to what you were saying, a publisher is going to look at it and say, now I have to do something at both PAXs and E3, but what basically you have so many choices and so many options of where to put your game and when and why, and what makes sense and how much money is it? And given the landscape right now, I could see why people would be like, you know what? E3 is not worth the investment for that particular purpose. And also it's expensive. It's expensive to do those conferences, especially. Oh man, that uh, space. They're oh. well no no just the conferences. Not even oh, the conferences. not yeah, even yeah. on the show floor. But not yes, the those booths the are also yeah. very expensive. It's all expensive. It's millions of dollars to go to this thing. Um and so Nintendo cut some millions by not having a press conference. And then said doing Nintendo Directs and just being like, nope, this is what we do now. And props to them. Good pivot. Versus, yeah. you know, other people have like EA, I assume, pulled out. Of- God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> EA left That'd the show, fun. I assume, because it was too. Ooh, I punched the microphone. Ow, that actually hurt my hand. <laughs> <laughs> We're on the rails. No. Choo-choo. On the rails. Stammer's beating herself up. My thumb hurts. Uh, Girl. <laughs> Yeah, I'm assuming they did it for price is basically what I'm saying. Um, in a way to try and, and EA even tried to lean further into the community aspect of it versus E3, which is still sort of straddling a weird line and it doesn't quite have an identity anymore and it's not quite sure what it's for or what it should be. It's still a very exciting time for all of us because we have number one, that nostalgia around it. And number two, Mm -hmm. there are still a decent amount of announcements. There's still a good amount of energy there. Um, so it's still a positive event in the industry. I do think Sean Layden is correct in that it is, it needs to pivot in one way or another to continue to stay relevant. Yeah. And if you look at back when E3 first started, I don't even know what year that was in the nineties, right? Um, you know, you didn't have live, live streaming. You didn't have this thing called the internet. Right. Whereas now it's, it, does it make sense to host a, I don't know what you'd call it, a physical press conference like Simon said, those are expensive. They're expensive or- and the tech doesn't necessarily work. So that's, oh, no. so like Nintendo directs are super smart because it's all pre-recorded. All pre-recorded. I remember when I saw uh, Skyward Sword be announced at, I think it was Nintendo's last press conference. Anyway, mm, yeah. poor, poor Miyamoto, you know, there was so much, so much interference with that Wii remote that it just wasn't fucking working. And I was like, oh no, this is so bad and sad. But yeah, so anyway, so yeah, times have changed and they're probably a lot more financial, financially responsible, or what am I trying to say? Efficient decisions when it comes to the moolah that these companies can make. 
that said, you know, I think E3 will continue to thrive. We saw record attendance. Obviously, now they're opening it to the public and you're seeing off-site panels and keynotes and other things happening all surrounding E3. I just don't know if it's going to continue to be the place for the announcements. I think you might see the announcements more uh, online, you know, in the form of streaming. And maybe E3 is still like the central hub, like, okay, now all these new games are coming here at G- during June. Come here, play our games, report about them, and go on with your bad stuff. But I wonder, I, I think PlayStation, depending on what they do, now, if they show up to the same place, similar to like EA, and are like, "Hey, we're not at E3, but wink, yes, we are. We're across the street or in a hole somewhere. I don't know where the fuck they are. In and a hole, <laughs> like they are secret squirreling somewhere. I think then it will it won't make that much of an impact on it. I think if PlayStation tries to do something at a different time, makes make, basically if they do PSX again. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know what? We're not interested in talking to straight journalists on their own anymore. We want this to be more of a to the fans kind of a thing. We want to build this out. We skipped PSX in December and it's because we wanted to do PSX at some different time of year that made sense for us when we were ready to announce our games. Exactly. Show them off exactly when they needed to be shown. Because I think the June thing is shit and like it's completely shit for any developers. They all crunch like crazy right before it and they're building stuff that's not even usually in the final game they're building demos for this fucking show and like that always throws a wrench in your timeline so if publishers become more comfortable being like you know what we're not actually announcing our shit here we're gonna announce it when it's ready to be announced i think that's when you'll start to see e3 become a very it will need to figure out what it is then it will have a very big identity crisis (laughs) yeah and if i just think about I mean, even you can talk about this timer too. When we first got into the industry, what a big deal E3 was. Now, E3 is still a very, very big deal. I'm but not it, discrediting it, was it. Bigger. But it was like, you know, like tighten it up, like only like media got to go in. You, it was a rigorous application process. I mean, I remember fighting tooth and nail to get my application approved and thankfully I did, but it was not, you couldn't buy a gamer pass. And if you look at it, how it was then as to what it is now where you can get a gamer pass and you can go and media only hours are very limited. It's crazy how much has already changed in the span of these several years. And so it kind of looks like it is leaning toward maybe I don't want to say glorified packs because I don't feel like that's a fair assessment, but maybe a more industry relevance for announcements packs community esque event. Does that make sense? Maybe. I mean, it's going to morph. It's going to become a different thing, even more different as the years go on, um, as more and more publishers and and developers think about whether or not it makes sense for them Mm -hmm. to go then. Or if they just invest more in PAX or invest more in Comic-Con or whatever show is relevant to whatever project that they are working on. Yep. But anyway, it made sense. Yeah. E3 made sense, you know, to do the, the way they did it for a long time. But as the internet becomes a thing and streaming, it makes sense to innovate and all that good, interesting stuff. All right. Yes. We have one more PlayStation thing. Would you like me to read it? I would. Okay. Great. So Sony yes, says. You have a sultry voice. Oh, thank you. I don't, I don't really like my voice, but thank you. Um, Sony says it's quote open for business on PS4 crossplay. But developers disagree. Oh, no. In a recent... Oh, this comes from Kotaku. I don't know who wrote it, but Kotaku! Anyways. 
In a recent interview with Game Informer, the chairman of Sony Interactive Entertainment Worldwide Studios uh, said that the company was, quote, open for business when it comes to crossplay between PlayStation 4 and other consoles. The makers of games like Smite and Wargroove say that's not the case. Uh-oh. Quote, people keep saying, why doesn't Sony allow more people to have it? Sony's John Layden told Game Informer, quote, all it takes is for publishers and developers who wish to permit to permission it as ever. Just work with your PlayStation account manager and they will walk you through the steps that we've learned through our partnership with Epic on how this works. I don't believe right now there is any gating factor on that. I think they're open to make proposals because the Fortnite thing worked pretty well. <laughs> Sean, who let you do this interview? <laughs> I wonder if he just went rogue and started talking out of his ass and the PR handler was like, please shut up. <laughs> that happens. It happens a lot, oh, especially yeah. with people high up on the chain like this. Anyways, um, they, they mean well, bless their little hearts. They do. Finn Bryce, the CEO of Chucklefish, which developed and published the recent Advanced Wars inspired hit Wargroove, took issue with Layden's characterization and a thread about the interview on the gaming forum Reset Era. Quote, we've made many requests for crossplay in parentheses, both through our account manager and directly with higher ups all the way up until release month, Bryce wrote. Quote, we were told in no uncertain terms that it was not going to happen. Wargroove is currently available with crossplay on Switch, Xbox One, and PC. The game is slated to launch later this year on PlayStation 4. Bryce added that while it might be more complicated from a policy standpoint on PlayStation's part for Chucklefish, wait, yes, okay, oh, on PlayStation's part for Chucklefish, implementing crossplay is as easy as flipping a Switch. Something people have speculated about ever since Fortnite maker Epic Games accidentally enabled crossplay between Xbox One and PS4 back in September of 2017. That was a full year before Sony announced it would even allow crossplay for Fortnite on PS4 as part of a new beta program. Quote, we wanted to provide some balance on the issue and say that it certainly isn't a question of developers not having contacted their account managers or having dropped the ball, Bryce wrote. We were told no. Wargroove isn't the only game in this situation. Stuart Chiasm? The CEO of Hi-Rez Studios, the makers of Smite, Paladins, and Realm Royale, tweeted at Sony last Friday about the issue. Crossplay for Smite was enabled earlier today on everything but PS4. Quote, it's time to stop playing favorites and tear down the crossplay slash progression wall for everyone, he wrote. We have Smite, Paladins, Realm Royale ready to go when you are. So far, Fortnite and Rocket League are the only games with crossplay on PS4. Sony did not immediately respond to a request for comment explaining what the current process is for getting crossplay approved on PS4. Minecraft, owned by Microsoft, is another obvious candidate for crossplay with PS4, something Microsoft has said in the past it would love to see happen. However, since PlayStation's crossplay beta began, there hasn't been any news of that. Uh, or any news that is closer to happening. Microsoft did not immediately respond to a request for comment on the matter. Well, no shit. Minecraft is owned by Microsoft. <laughs> Anyways, uh, despite Lee's <laughs> remarks, it remains unclear when PS4's crossplay library will grow beyond two games, or if indeed it is actually possible for developers to simply, quote, walk through the steps to make it happen. Uh, this is hilarious to me, especially <laughs> as somebody who used to work at PlayStation. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's hilarious because it's hilarious the way Sean said it. It's hilarious that I think I called this. <laughs> Actually, I was like, they're going to let Fortnite do it. I like maybe, I don't know if I even thought that they would do it for Rocket League, actually. So I'm surprised. Mm-hmm. But I was like, they're not going to let any, just anyone do this. This is not like them being kind, gentle giants. But like, 
like we said, it's such a slippery slope. So I have um, a quote here from BG247, a little bit about this. At least I think it is. We're going to find out because I'm going to live read this and we're going to see how accurate it is. Okay. So they're talking about this whole situation. Um, the executive, Sean, then re- reiterated that Sony's initial concerns about opening up its ecosystem and communities to other platforms. This is in part because of Sony's belief that PlayStation has the biggest player base for most games. Quote, <clears throat> but I think we learned from the feedback from our fans that it was important. And it wasn't just important to a vocal minority. Though, if you look at any of the numbers of the actual cross-play population, that Venn diagram isn't too big. Even the fans who weren't personally going to participate in a cross-play activity across different hardware pieces just felt that it was kind of tone-deaf of PlayStation, he added. So what I get from that is that he's saying not a lot of people are actually using this, but it is kind of more of the principle if... But in in that case, like, why not let the little ones do it? Right. That's, I mean, that's just it. Like, yeah, you're like not if, clearly losing. <laughs> it, like, to me, the, what you just read is more indicative of him saying, we did this to shut people up. And the only people who are the loudest were Fortnite and Rocket League. And they are the only people with enough, uh, power behind them to make such a stink about it that we will listen to them and everyone else. You can go to your PlayStation account manager. Yeah, I, yeah, that's just, oh man. So it, it right. I think when we were, ta- <laughs> when we were talking about this way back when, when this was announced that they were gonna do this thing. I keep hitting my you microphone. Said, you, you feeling aggressive tonight? Apparently. I'm fired Slapping up. That microphone. I'm fired up. Uh, that's a Natsu thing from Fairy Tale. Any of my Fairy Tale fans also listening. Anyway getting distracted when this came out and you were talking about it you did say you know this is not going to apply to everyone and then i think it was one of us that also said once you offer it to one company though if you don't allow other companies to partake you're going to look real bad it's going to be kind of a pr nightmare because you're going to say well obviously we're just picking and choosing which you're allowed to do but when you have war groove which is a game that i think could really benefit from this and, you know, Smite as well, when you have all these other companies doing it and you're saying, nay, we're not going to, you know, allow this or maybe they're not even you- they're just like, talk to your PlayStation account manager. Well, the Wargroove <laughs> CEO, right? He said they said, no, I know, but I'm saying oh. publicly. Oh, right. I'm sure right. publicly and- Sean Leiden would be like, no, you need to just talk to your person. And this kind of reminds me, this is a little bit of a stretch of last week's news topic when we were talking about Disney CEO saying mm-hmm. how they have a good working relationship with with EA. It's just one of those things where maybe Sean, I know Sean's a busy guy. He Sean's has a lot of shit going tune, on. Though. So, but this quote doesn't make it seem that way, right? If, if No, yeah, he wouldn't know the details of these things for sure. Right. 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 So it's just, I just, yeah, I, I just meant, I didn't think that uh, Bob Iger is removed. the same <laughs> as yeah, Sean Yeah, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that Sean Layden's that far removed that he would, yeah. but who knows? I guess it's just one of those things where sooner or later, the truth will come out. Indeed. I mean, indeed. Yeah. So, hey, and I think, you know, I'm one of those people who cross play itself is cool, but I think the thing I would be more interested in would be cross progression. Yeah. Yeah. That would be but much it, more useful. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll see this, uh, so Simon, where do you think this is gonna go? This whole cross-play if thing. If it's just Sony. these two smaller games, nowhere. If, I mean, do you think, do you think they're gonna open it up 
to more and more companies in development. Not until people get angry at them. Even more angry than they are. They're not angry right now. They got what they wanted for the most part. Those Fortnite audiences and Rocket League audiences have what they want. So you don't think that there is... I guess like what I'm getting at is... You, you just you read have- a quote from Sean Lee where he basically was just like, we did this to shut you all up. And they're shutting up. They shut up. And so like, yes, what are they going to do? They don't care anymore. No, no, but that's what I'm saying. It just looks so bad. And if there's anything we've learned about the internet is that when people speak up, shit can change. That's just kind of the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? That's literally so what saying- just happened. <laughs> Right, but what I'm saying is if you have like Chucklefish and you have, you know, War, uh, um, what's his other developer? Uh, Hi-Rez. Hi-Rez, right, thank you. You know, if they're posting and saying that they're causing a stink about this, I think there is the potential for Sony to buckle down or if they're just going to ignore it. I can't imagine they would just ignore the problem. I think they would say, hey, we're going to offer it. Anyway, I think if be- this is the only article that comes out and they're only talking on a forum like Reset Era, I do think they can ignore it and I do think that they will. I don't, but what I'm, okay. No, I know what, I you're, I know what you're saying. I'm saying this need, this drum can, needs to continue to beat before that they will do something about it. Okay. Yeah. That, I think we're on the same page there yes. because this was covered on multiple different platforms, but, but you're not seeing the same stink like you're saying with Fortnite because obviously Fortnite's you know, a much bigger game. There's yes. going to be people tweeting at them all the time. There's yeah. going to every, every post you put up, all of the comments are going to be, when is crossplay coming to Fortnite? That's not going to happen with Smite and that's not going to happen with Wargroove. Wargroove. Right. Probably. Maybe they Probably will. Not. Maybe they can activate the internet and like get it to happen, which would be great. But it's going to be, yeah, it's going to take a whole bunch of, I think, indies and games like this to kind of join forces and put their foot down and cause internet ma'am. Yes. All right. Let's talk about things that are going to make me grunt and make weird faces and be very, very happy. Should I read some of the things so that you can grunt? I mean, I can grunt and read. Oh, oh, oh. You're a girl. woman of many talents. I can multitask. <laughs> oh, girl. All oh, right. Girl. Take it okay. away, Grunty okay, McGrunterson. Ah! All right. So Nintendo Direct finally happened today, which is Wednesday, February 13th. Nintendo historically has a direct in January. We didn't get one. The hype continued to build. And so yesterday, Nintendo announced they're having one. This was an early, an early Valentine's Day gift from Nintendo oh to my, us. Oh my God. And it, and I was, I was worried because, you know, when you expect the direct to happen in January and it doesn't, you're like, Oh my God, what are they getting ready to announce? And then your hype builds and you're like, okay, what are they possibly going to announce? That's going to make me tingle in my nether regions. Like I said earlier in the show, but they did announce some things. So just to go on through, some of these announcements, super duper quick. Super Mario Maker 2 was announced. The only new thing we know so far, a host of new tools and features will be coming, and it should be coming in June of this year. Simon, did you ever play Mario Maker? For a hot second. Okay. This I would play something- levels that other people make. Like, that's fine to me. Although, God, some of them are so sadistic. Yeah. I I have not dabbled in the Mario Makers. It's just not something for me, but I would like to play your your levels that you make. It's like Dreams, where I'm like, cool, I'll play the shit that other people make. Right. But I don't want to create. I don't want to make anything. (laughs) Super Smash Bros. Ultimate is gaining an update this spring. They announced that Joker will be coming before the end of April. Before April. So if you are a Smash player, or if you're like Simon and you just fall off the stage the whole time. (laughs) I'm just going to be Joker and then fall off all the time. You're just going to taunt the whole time and see his little animations. Box Boy and Box Girl is a brand new game with 270 stages, including two-player co-op. This looks super duper cute, and I am very, very, very excited to play this. It did look cute. 
It is super cute. I don't know when it's coming out though. I don't see, I don't see a release date on this little blurb, but I'm assuming it's sometime this year. It's sometime in the future. Sometime in the future. And then we got Captain Toad Treasure Tracker, which is coming with some free DLC today actually, which makes all of the stages co-op and there are 18 new challenges and five new courses coming, which will be coming in the form of paid DLC. And then we got some tidbits on Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, The Black Order. So this, all these, all this information is coming from a mesh of Kotaku and Polygon, FYI. So Nintendo showcased gameplay from Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, The Black Order in today's Nintendo Direct and flagged the game with a summer 2019 launch window. Team Ninja, best known for the Ninja Gaiden and Neo series, is developing the ensemble action role-playing game. Today's video also showed off Carol Danvers slash Captain Marvel, whose feature film premieres March 8th. Players will be able to team up online or play locally among four Switch systems. Characters from supergroups The Avengers, The Defenders, The X-Men, and The Guardians of the Galaxy and more will take on Ultra Baddie Thanos and its evil-sounding Black Order. Ah. Do you care about this at all? Not much, no. Is it Thanos or Thanos? Thanos, I think. Uh, See, this is what I'm telling you. This I, I looked at gameplay of this during the Nintendo Direct, and I thought to myself, hey... This looks fun. I like that there's co-op. I'd be the first to admit I don't know jack shit about superhero stuff. So I'm not drawn to this game for that reason. But if there's fun co-op RPG elements to it. You are there always for the co-op, girl. I am there. And then we got an announcement of Platinum's Astral Chain. So during this week's Nintendo Direct, the company announced a new game from Platinum Games and director Hideki Kamiya. I'm sorry, I suck. Due on Switch later this <laughs> summer, Astral Chain, an action game starring two characters in a futuristic world. The two characters are suited up in police uniforms and appear to fight in tandem as they traverse the, quote, multicultural futuristic city in which they patrol. We see the characters chained together in several moments throughout the trailer. The pair of officers isn't really keeping the peace from petty criminals, though. They're fighting giant monsters with their huge swords and transforming human-shaped superweapon. That's an anime-inspired action game for you, indeed. Nintendo's keeping quiet about the full gameplay details for now, but expects some high-intensity, fast-paced action. As per the Platinum Games way, it'll launch on August 30th on Nintendo Switch as an exclusive. And they also talked about Bayonetta 3 and was like, hey, it's still a thing that's being developed. Don't worry. We hope you look forward to it. Okay, thanks, bye! Okay, thanks, bye! This game looks cute. I'm, you know... I would say I'm mildly interested. I don't know... I don't know enough about it yet to be like, I'm hooked on it. You know, it's kind of like that multicultural, like, it's not that, it's the city. It's the city. (laughs) No, 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 no. I was gonna, I was gonna read the verbatim of how they describe the city, which is a multicultural, futuristic city. Multicultural thing, interesting. Futuristic city, not so interesting to me. You don't like, you don't like most things. Right. But like, you no. do. Like, you love a lot of things, <laughs> Wait but like, a you always are like, I hate trees, I hate cities, I hate real life. And I'm like, this is, both of these things cover <laughs> most games. <laughs> I know. It's just, it's never, you know, floated my boat, tickled my fancy. I, I don't know. Tr- cities and trees, man. <laughs> In my head for some reason. <laughs> I'm not even gonna, I don't know if I should even no, say No, no, now you have to say it. it. When you said tickle my, I almost said whistle. And I was like, that's not a saying. <laughs> Is that a saying? Like, I don't think whistle. that's a saying. It's not. I'm sure, no, it's, yeah. Anyways. <laughs> that's a good one. Tickled my fancy. Right, so it looks, it looks interesting, but like not, not, 
yeah, we'll see. We'll see if I ever play that. I don't I probably will. So it's a Switch game. And then Bloodstained Ritual of the Night is coming summer 20, 2019. So that's a slight delay. But it's also coming to PC, PS4, Xbox One, and Switch. Just for reference, this game was funded in Kickstarter back in 2015 when you could get it for the Wii U or the Vita. Whoa. You can't, you can't anymore. Sad day. Um, you had to change your console of choice, obviously. And now I think the most interesting thing that came out of well that's not true that's not true personally the most interesting thing we're gonna talk about later but from a business critically whatever standpoint i think tetris 99 is fucking fascinating hilarious and, I think it's, and it's yeah it's hilarious and it's brilliant so tetris 99 is available today as a free download exclusively for nintendo switch online subscribers it's a competitive online multiplayer version of classic tetris gameplay where 99 contestants vie to be the last player standing in the fierce puzzle game so players can attack one another with garbage i.e tetraminos to thwart one another's clearance strategy and fill up their screen so it's tetris got- battle royale you got 99 problems, but Tetris ain't one. Oh, yeah, girl. <laughs> you dropping that pop culture knowledge on us. I don't, this uh, is so weird, but like so amazing oh, also. It's amazing. It's fucking brilliant. So I, okay, first of all, you have Tetris, one of the games in this, on this planet that I think can be played over and over and over again and never really get old or boring. And now you add this competitive element to it. It's Tetris Battle Royale, which is hilarious. And I was watching some gameplay of this, and it's 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 crazy. It's hectic. You know, you you can see because you have your main Tetris grid in the middle where you are playing your game, but then you have the other players uh, off to the side in little mini for you know little mini diagrams or whatnot. Sure. And you can see which ones are which games are about to send Tetraminos your way, and I think you can see which grid you're about to send your garbage to. And it says, you know, what place you're in. It tells you which um, players are knocked out. And it's brilliant that they put this behind Nintendo Switch Online because recently Nintendo said, hey, you know, we have 8 million subscribers. But what we're noticing is that they're worried that, okay, so a lot of people are only subscribing to the one-month plan. And they want people subscribing to the 12-month plan or, or, you know, making more of a commitment. And to put this game behind that just makes so much sense. It's an online game. So if this was on any other console, you'd have to play for Xbox Live Gold or PlayStation, whatever, to get that those online features. And it's just, it's so smart. It, this is a game that I don't think is ever going to grow old. And so you're always going to want, if you if you love this kind of thing, it's, you know, you're not going to have incentive to, if, if you love this game so much, you're like, I'll pay the $20 a year so I get access to Tetris 99, not to mention all of the other NES classics that are on that, on the, uh, that are offered on the platform. Anyway, I just think it's brilliant. Good job, Nintendo. Simmer, do you get, do you give any fucks about this? You just gave all of the fucks, so I'm good. I know, I rambled. I was really excited about it. <laughs> okay. Let's go. Uh, Simmer is not fucking around. She's like, I gotta get to bed. I'm Assassin's- tired. <laughs> Listen, we're professionals. We don't get tired in this job. Assassin's Creed 3 Remaster is coming to Switch on May 21st, if you are interested. And then they talked about Fire Emblem Three Houses. So, in Three Houses, three ruling powers share the land in relative harmony. You, either a male or female character, are a mercenary under your father Geralt, not to be confused with Geralt, command, and you receive an offer to teach at the Officer's Academy. 
Here's how a Nintendo press release sums things up. Quote, the Black Eagles, the Blue Lions, the Golden Deer. Is three this that, ha- that uh, Nickelodeon show? Fuck, what was it? Legends of the Hidden Temple? The oh Black my Eagles, God. the Blue Lions, the Golden Deer. I freaking hope so. That'd be amazing. I love that show. That was the best we show We need a ever. crossover. I, this is the crossover we pretend. need. I used to pretend I was in that show. That was so good. So good. Um, three noble houses that are part of the Officers Academy, an elite facility that trains students in the ways of weapons, magic, and special skills. As a professor, the player must choose one of these houses to lead its students into grid-based battles with life-or-death stakes. Each house is comprised of many different students to meet and train, each with her or his own personality and skills. These students can interact with each other at the academy, strengthening their bonds and supporting each other on the battlefield. Fire Emblem Three Houses was originally scheduled to launch this spring, but will now release for Nintendo on July 26th. For devotees of the series, the Direct also announced a collector's edition. The Seasons of Warfare edition will include an art book, a sound selection CD, a 2020 calendar, and a steelbook case in addition to a copy of the game itself. You can get a look at it online. According to a listing on Best Buy's website, this edition will go for $100. So have you have you seen this yet, Steimer? This, uh, I saw the cutscene. The trailer? Yeah. I... I don't, it, it kind of actually deterred me. I mean, I'm going to play this game, but it looks kind of like it's a teaching sim. Like, I don't want to play the role as a professor. You want to be the student. I want to, yeah, I want to go on a grand adventure and go, you know, like LARP around the, the wilderness. This and is fight. old, old person Fire Emblem. Old person Fire Emblem. So if you, I wish Alexa was here. If you are a Fire Emblem fan, like, let me know. Is this, did this announcement get you more excited for the game or less excited? Because I don't really want to have to come up with a lesson plan for these kids. I just want to go like live my best life and go about my business. But I, mean, I hey. hope that's part not, that's not part of the game, but I mean, that's what, that's what it looked like. Um, You're something a else. Lesson plan? Well, you have to learn how you have to optimize your students and come up with training regimens. I think for them, regimens. I don't know. It just it was kind of weird. Like it was a weird. Going to be mostly menus, but maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. It was a it was a weird a weird trailer. Also, um, they talked about Dragon Quest Eleven. This isn't on this. That's coming finally um, to Switch. I'm and they have cute out. little toggles between the sixteen bit and the new. Oh yes. yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, no, did no, I have a hallucination? Did I imagine? No, you're, you're not wrong. I'm trying to find out when it's, um, when it's coming. coming. Well, yeah. While you're looking that up in the meantime, okay. Hellblade is, has a release window of spring 2019. It is coming to Nintendo mm-hmm. switch. Uh, dead by daylight is also coming to switch this fall. Um, that's it. Uh, Delta. Okay. okay you got it. Oh no, no, no. Sorry. It features new music, new character storylines, and the ability to revert the overall look to the game to a classic 8-bit design. So yeah, this is Dragon Quest XI coming for the Switch. It doesn't look like we have an actual release day. Why don't, pe- why don't websites put all this important information right at the top, man? They might I'm have telling it. Ya. Who knows? Oh, this fall. Okay, this fall. Yes, yeah, so if you haven't played this game yet, I'd highly, highly, highly recommend it. It's really, really good. All right, so you talked about Hellblade. You talked about Dead by Daylight. Uh, Deltarune. So this is the follow-up to Undertale, and the first chapter is coming February 28th, which is free. Further chapters are being developed, but those will not be free. It's also coming to PS4, too. Yoshi's Crafted World is getting a demo. It should be out by the time this podcast releases. It's still coming out March 29th. 
And now we get into the, the uh, summer the shit that you are excited for because you're going to make a bunch of noises. So Rune Factory 4 Special is a fully remastered version of Rune Factory 4 exclusively on Nintendo Switch in North America. Interact with townsfolk, grow vegetables and fruits at the farm, hook some fish, cook up a storm, raise some monsters, and maybe even find friendship and love. There was a real nice wedding dress going on. In oh, that. I know. I uh, saw that. Yeah. Uh, so that's coming later this year. And then the thing I assume you are very excited about is they confirmed that they are working on Rune Factory 5. God. So yeah, like I was, ta- I think it was last week. I was telling you how I'm getting the shakes. Like I need a farming game real bad. Yeah. I'm kind of going a little crazy. And so I tried Rune Factory 4 on the 3DS and it kind of clicked with me, but it was a little obscure and I didn't quite understand what I was doing and why I was doing it. However, I feel like with this, I'll give it another shot. And with Rune Factory 5, okay. like, And I can get married now. And I don't know if we could do that in another room. But I can Girl, get married. Let's and, get married. Let's get married. Yeah, very, very exciting. Yay. Ooh. I love growing vegetables. Yeah, you Uh-oh. do. Or are you okay? Going. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm so no, sorry. No, no. This, this hype train has started. I, okay, oh. Final Fantasy Nine and Final Fantasy Seven. Okay, well, that's not even a headline. But anyways, uh, Final Fantasy Seven is launching <laughs> for Switch next month on March 26th. But Final Fantasy Nine will be available in the Switch eShop later today. Chocobo's Mystery Dungeon, everybody. Meanwhile, is set to arrive next month on March 20th. Co-op Chocobo Dungeon Crawler. There's a job. Wait, what? This is not a sentence. Oh, sorry. Those are my own notes. Oh. I was I like, that I'd be I reading that's this. not a full sentence. <laughs> <laughs> those are my own notes. So, yeah. So, okay. So, they, we, we knew these games were coming, right? And so, we're like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Final Fantasy VII coming next month. Cool. Final Fantasy IX, when they're like, it's out today. I let out the most guttural, disgusting sound. It almost Did sounded like I was- no, he wasn't home. Aww. He was at the gym, that loser. And I I made this like guttural, like almost like a, a heaving sound. And my I freaked my dog out. And it, I'm just so excited that Final Fantasy IX is on this portable, awesome Switch system. It's it's a cool world we live in, ladies and gentlemen, where I can play one of my all-time favorite games that came out on PlayStation on the Switch. I'm still a little – the game is $21, 20, $20.99. And it's that price on Steam as well. I didn't realize that – I mean, that's not that much for a game that's, you know, going to give you tons and tons and tons of hours of gameplay, you know, 80 hours-ish, depending on how much you play it. But it is a very, very old game. Um, but still, like, I, I I know they put in the new features where you could do, you'd have, like, god mode, and you could speed up the battles, and you can be in constant trance. So it is a little bit of an additional bonus. But still, I think it's, I think it's worth it. Anyway. All right. Ooh. Now, get back on that train. Get back on it, girl. Oh, choo-choo. Because... Nintendo is bringing the 1993 Game Boy Classic Adventure, The Legend of Zelda, Link's Awakening to Nintendo Switch later this year. The re-release is more than just a virtual console-style release. It is a complete 3D, quote, reimagining of the classic Zelda adventure. As Link, players will once again return to the Isle of Koholit? Is that that how you say that? Koholit. Koholit. For new adventures. Koholit. I, I don't know. Anyways, while the new Link's Awakening will retain the top-down and occasionally side-scrolling view of the Game Boy original, the Switch will remake. The Switch remake will use 3D models and employ a stylish, toy-like aesthetic. The original Link's Awakening was Nintendo's first Zelda game for a handheld device and the fourth in the franchise. Re- first released in 1993, the game was later updated for the Game Boy Color in 1998. I had oh. a Game Boy Color. Did not have this game though. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so. So, so, so tell so. me how excited you were 
What, how, what noise did you make when this was announced if you made the guttural noise for, this uh, was more, this, this was more of a shriek. So, okay. Banshee? I think, style? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's fair. That's a fair assessment. So I think a lot of people were expecting the final announcement of this direct to be Animal Crossing because the website had gone down for a little bit earlier today and people were like, oh my God. Or maybe the announcement of SNES titles coming to the Switch because all the data from the Switch had been removed, blah, blah, blah. So I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, this is like an anime. What, what, what's happening? And then I see the big wave and I see the big water. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Okay, whatever. I'm maybe expecting it to cut to like Animal Crossing or something. And then it zooms, and then you see the over the shoulder perspective, which is Link, but there was a glare on my monitor, and so part of it was kind of washed out, so I wasn't sure what that was. But then as soon as they showed his, his like bottom half, you were seeing his tunic yeah, his and bottom his boots, half. and his, yeah, I reckon, I was about to say something very inappropriate, I will not. But as soon as I saw his like white tights and his boots or his white pants and the tunic, I, I shrieked. I was like, Oh my God. Like I didn't know what this was going to be. Now, not that long ago, you know, there were some job listings out for a, a Zelda game, right? And I think specifically mentioned 2D, maybe not, but something along these lines was what was anticipated or speculated. So this makes sense. But then as soon as I saw the big egg in the volcano, I was like, Oh my God, this is Link's Awakening. And it was. Oh, and it looks so damn cute. Have you seen the, the it does look it? really cute. Oh my God. I'm, I'm, I will, I, I can't say I'll finish it cause God knows I finish nothing these days, but I will definitely try <laughs> this game. Oh, this is so exciting. This is definitely one of the more obscure Zelda games out there. I have not ever actually finished this. So I had this game back when it came out, which means I was five or six and I had wow. a game boy. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, I had a game boy. And, uh, I don't think, I think at that point in my life, my attention span was limited to side-scrolling platformers like Super Mario, Wo- Super Mario World. Yeah. That was my first game. Um, and so, uh, I didn't think I could quite understand what to do in, uh, Link's Awakening because it, you know, the game doesn't hold your hand by any means. But I do remember wandering around aimlessly, you know, seeing the chomps and seeing the Goombas in the game and seeing the, the you know, all the little weird things in that game. And so I'm really excited. And I actually tried playing it again probably four or five years ago on the, it was either the Game Boy Advance or Retron. And it was a lot of fun. It was just one of those things that something else came by and then I didn't prioritize it. Anyway, very, very exciting. This is very good news and I'm thrilled, clearly. Are you more thrilled for what we're about to read? Okay, so, <laughs> so, the, when we got Rune Factory announced, when Rune Factory was announced, I tweeted out, I said, holy shit, do you think we might get a Story of Seasons announcement? It kind of seemed a little unlikely because why would you announce two similar games like that? But we knew what we know a story of seasons game is coming. And then the direct ended. And then it wasn't maybe like an hour or two later. Someone tweeted at me with a link to this, to this. And Simon, I want you to pronounce all of this for me. Oh shit. I don't know how to say this. I don't know either. So I'm pivoting. Doraemon Nobita no Bokuju Mono Gatari. Yeah, girl. That. Yeah. That, which is also. Known as Story of Seasons. Oh! It's going to release, apparently, for Nintendo Switch in Japan in 2019. Right. Uh, but for Japan. Right. Not so, America. 
Right. Not yet. So I'll, I'll just read this real quick. So on the Japanese side of today's Nintendo Direct, Nintendo has revealed that Bandai Namco Entertainment is going to see, oh, God damn it. Now I have to pronounce it. <laughs> Bandai Namco <laughs> Entertainment is going to see Doraemon Nobita no Bokoju Monogatari for Nintendo Switch in Nailed Japan it. 2019, aka Farm Story, is the Japanese title of what is now known as Story of Seasons. And true enough to the title, Marvelous as the owner of Story of Seasons series is handling the production of the game while Brownies is the company in charge of developing it. As you can see in the official trailer, this game will let players control Nobita as he performs tasks like any other Story of Seasons protagonist would do, such as farming, raising livestock, and interacting with other villagers. Oh, in addition to the main character group of Doraemon, Doraemon, yes. Nobita, Shizuka, Suneo, and Gion. The town will also have a lot of new original characters to interact with. Okay, so obviously, we don't have to tell you. We don't know what the fuck Doraemon is. Doraemon. I know it's an anime of sorts. I think it was really, really popular in Japan. I think. I have no idea. I have no idea. So, so I'm very, very this. excited. This was, this was announced. Because it is a story it of It is a Japanese games. manga series written and illustrated oh. by Fujiko F. Fujo. Oh, it's the cat thing. You've seen this cat for sure. Oh, I did recognize the cat. Yes. So that's what that's from. Okay. It's the cat. So I'm happy this was announced. And I'm happy because it looks really pretty. And like I said, I'm fucking craving my my farming game. I'm, you know, I, I don't know how well this will be. So this has only been announced for J- Japan. I don't know how well this will be received in the West simply because I don't think that series is clearly as popular here as it is over there and i would prefer to play as you know a female a female character that looks like myself and i can marry and woo and give people turnips and eggs and they'll love me like i want to work on that character relationship building however mm-hmm. if this is what we're going to get are you then gonna I'll learn take japanese it. and figure out how to play this game absolutely oh yeah. <laughs> okay you have no idea i'm already working on my duolingo nice which is the yeah so the fact that this wasn't announced in um the english the in the north american nintendo direct and the fact that it was only announced in japan's nintendo direct tells me this might not make it out here or if it does that might be modified in some way shape or form either way or it's gonna take it's not gonna come this year right like cause sometimes right. they do the thing where it releases in japan and then the next year after it comes to america yeah because they yeah, gotta translate so, that shit. Right. So I would definitely be surprised if this game comes to the West because it just, you know, I, I don't know how much it would make sense culturally in terms of how, how many people would understand it and get, and appreciate it. That said, I will fucking play the shit out of this if it comes over here, but I would be surprised if it stays as this. Either way. Yes. I got Rune Factory and I got Story of Seasons announcement in the same goddamn day. Oh my goodness gracious. I got Final Fantasy Nine. I got Link's Awakening. I got some two great farming sims. Like, does my life get any better? I don't yes, think so. Yes, it does. Because we have some more other tidbit stories. That's a good segue. And, and I call these tidbits of life. These are just little bite-sized things we can just briefly talk about. Yes. Um, so first one, Bioware, quote, definitely not done with Mass Effect. According to Polygon, who sat down with the team at Bioware, Mass Effect is, quote, very much alive. Bioware General Manager Casey Hudson said, quote, in my mind, it's very much alive. I'm thinking all the time about things that I think will be great. It's just a matter of getting back to it as soon as we can. Mark Dura, was it Dara or Dara? Actually, I was no. said Dara. Oh, I... Sorry, Mark. I know I've Sorry, met you Mark, many we, times. I forget how to pronounce your last name. <laughs> Executive producer on Anthem and Dragon Age went into further detail on what a new Mass Effect might look like. 
Quote, we're definitely not done with Mass Effect. There's a lot of stories to be told. We could pull on the threads we put down uh, with Mass Effect Andromeda. We could pull on threads from Mass Effect 3. There's a lot of interesting space to be explored. Space, get it? Literally. Uh, mm-hmm. Fans will have to wait and learn more because, according to Polygon, Bioware is keeping details on upcoming Mass Effect and Dragon Age games under wraps for the time being. Not only that, they only have so many people, y'all. Like, you can only make so much at a time. They're kind of working on this thing called Anthem. You may or may not have heard of that, it. That, and, like, I mean, they've teased the Dragon Age, so, like, oh. they've got to be doing some work on it. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of one of those no-shit Sherlock stories, but it was making the rounds on Twitter. And I think it's just more people are excited to hear anything related to Mass Effect. Totally. Rumblings. But, like, I mean, this makes sense. Mass Effect was Casey's baby. Like, Mass, Casey's not going to come back to this studio and be like, well, putting this on the ground. Like, that's, <laughs> not, that's not what you would do. No. So, cool. There you go. That's kind of something we already all knew, but there it's been confirmed. Yes. This is exciting. THQ Nordic acquires Kingdom Come Deliverance developers Warhorse Studios. So THQ Nordic announced today that it has acquired Warhorse Studios, the developer behind the 2018 role-playing game Kingdom Come Deliverance. The deal is worth $37.5 million on a cash and debt-free basis. Warhorse is in Prague in the Czech Republic. Prague. Kingdom Come Deliverance. Deli- what? Prague. Oh, Prague. Sorry. Prague and Czech Republic. Uh, Kingdom Come Deliverance was the studio's first title. Kickstarter campaign raised over $1.2 million back in 2014 to help it fund the project, building itself as Dungeons and No Dragons for its focus on realistic combat, no magic, and Central European history. And it has sold over 2 million copies. So again, this was, I think, my like, number one or two personal favorite game of the year last year. And everyone at Warhorse is lovely. So it's really exciting to see them get picked up by THQ Nordic. But didn't you say that it was super buggy as fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it didn't start out that way. What happened was the more they patched it, the more things broke. Oh, okay. But, yeah, so from a critical perspective, that's not good at all. From a personal perspective, it's like, this is frustrating and annoying, but I really appreciated what they did. And Maybe Nordic can get them some more resources to their QA department. Exactly. They're all very, very, very talented people, and I'm extremely happy for them. And, in fact, I think today is the one-year anniversary since that game released. Oh, Happy birthday. And then finally, Pokemon Go is getting a vastly improved AR photo mode. So currently, this comes from The Verge. Currently, Pokemon Go players can take augmented reality photos of Pokemon they encounter in the wild, and it has proved to be a popular feature, so much so that Niantic says players regularly requested more options. The new snapshot mode extends the feature to all the Pokemon in your storage. Now, when you select a Pokemon in your bag, there will be a camera icon, and from there, you can move to the snapshot tool. This process seems both simple and playful to get a Pokemon where you want it. You toss a Pokeball in that spot, and it'll appear at scale. Building on the AR feature, you can then move around to capture your squirtle from the ideal angle That's, you can then even it sounds so silly i know that's one word for it. You can even give your Poke Buddy a tap or brush to make sure it's focused on you. Now, I'm mentioning this because I got several people hit me up on Twitter and be like, "Oh, it's it's Pokemon Snap," and I was like, "No, ladies and gentlemen, this is not this is not Pokemon Snap. Pokemon Snap is about adventuring, adventuring through the wilderness of the Pokemon universe and finding wild Pokemon in their environment, not releasing your slaved Pokemon from their Pokeballs so they can stand and pose <laughs> for a photo with Michael, shoot with Michelangelo. This is not Pokemon Snap. That said." Cool, fun feature. I'm sure we'll see a lot of interesting and uh, inappropriate photos on the internet. Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. This is such a bad idea. I but- mean, or is it the greatest idea? Because hopefully if they see how much people want this, they'll make an actual Pokemon Snap. Oh, my God. 
Joey, Noel, and I would fucking lose our minds. I'm telling you, in this core Pokemon RPG, there's going to be a mode like that because it's going to be fucking open world like Breath of the Wild, and then you get to go, oh, could you imagine? Okay. I'm trying to not get too hyped for it because I don't know what it is yet. No, I know, I know, and you're you're being smart about it. I just I can't I can't help it. I live I live for the hype. Yeah, you do. But before I start drooling and making gross, disgusting noises, and you unsubscribe from What's Good Games Forever, we're going to put a pin in this very very long news segment, and we will return to you with. Oh my god, we have a lot to talk about in the next segment. So February fifteenth, that is the the day of releases. We have Crackdown three. Yeah. We have Far Cry New Dawn, and we have Metro Exodus. Oh my god. If you like to shoot things, you are in for a good time. (laughs) We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to segment two of the What's Good Games podcast. Boy, oh boy, we have a lot of games to talk about because there are a lot of games releasing Friday, February 15th. But before we get to that, Steimer is going to tell you all about Robin Hood. Yeah, Robin Hood is our lovely sponsor for this segment of the podcast. They are an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robin Hood doesn't charge any commission fees. So you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade on just in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio. Discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of What's Good Games a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. So you can go ahead and sign up at whatsgood.robinhood.com. That's whatsgood.robinhood.com. Yeah, I know Andrea is a real adult, and she uses Robinhood, and she really likes it, and she talks about it all the time. So... There you go. Holy crap, Simer. Mm-hmm. February 15th. I am trying to think of the last time we had a crazy, crazy video game release day like this. Usually because, in the fall. Usually in the fall. But not like three Whoppers like this on the same day. It's a doozy. It's a doozy. Well, for me, I really, I mean, I love you so much, Brittany. This is not a, this is not a reflection of you. I don't care too much about the two games you're about to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> But you care about me, and that's all that matters. I care about you. I care about you so much. See, and that's what I care about. So we have Far Cry New Dawn, Metro Exodus, and Crackdown 3 all releasing. Girl, it's finally happening. All releasing Friday, February 15th. Samber and I have been playing uh, a lot of these games. I have finished Far Cry New Dawn. I am maybe seven hours. Yeah. I am seven or to nine hours or so into Metro Exodus, and Steimer has been playing Crackdown 3. Fuck yeah, I Holy have. Holy crap. So, I think how we'll start this off is I'll start talking about Far Cry New Dawn. So no one, so no one has to listen to me talk back to back because we need to break up this Brit sandwich with that soft, sultry. Mm. Oh, this can get real awkward. This Steimer Steinbacher loving. All that loving. Okay, so Far Cry New Dawn is 
obviously a Far Cry game. It takes place 17 years after Far Cry 5. And we talked about Far Cry 5 quite a bit um, on the show. And we all, I think, kind of had the same general consensus of it was fun. It was just a bit repetitive. And... And it had a good idea. It just kind of fell flat toward the end, especially you with that airplane, with the the, the oh final God. aerial mission. <laughs> it kind of drove you a little. It fucking was not crazy. only that; it was the way the game ended. It was the way they designed the story missions. It was the story missions themselves. It was a the lot. Bliss yeah. getting knocked out. Yeah, 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 I was just like, come on. So what I what I loved about Far Cry Five was the co op aspect of it. I think you know there aren't a lot of sandboxy, open-worldy, whatever word you want to use, games that allow you to play with someone else and kind of implement those RPG mechanics. So when this game was announced, we were all kind of like, okay, this is cool. Is it necessary? Probably not. But hey, you know, it's a thing, and I want to play it personally for the co-op. So I fired it up. And now that I finished it, I'm just going to throw it out there, I had way more fun with this than I did with Far Cry 5. They they fixed a lot of the issues that you were talking about, Simon, in the sense that... It's not broken down into three regions. It's, it's, it's a smaller map. It's not broken Thank down God. into three. <laughs> it's not broken down into three regions. Um, you don't have the same sort of repetitive mechanic where you have to go into an area, right, and then you have to complete a certain amount of missions, and then at some point you're going to be ambushed by the bliss, no matter what you're doing, and then you're going to be taken to this weird other part where you have to do this story based thing. Like you're not. None of that goes down. You can play this game at your own pace, and. I don't know if the entire map has been reused, but I did recognize a lot of the landmarks in Far Cry New Dawn that were in Far Cry 5. And Andrea was also talking a little bit about this when she was talking about her hands-on time with it. But, you know, Far Cry 5 seemed very samey after a bit, right? It's all kind of like that brownie, like open fields and so many trees, whatever. But Far Cry New Dawn definitely has... A spi- a, a, an extra spice to it. I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but there, there's a there's lot other of other colors. Flair. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of bright colors. There's all these interesting creatures kind of wandering around. It has you a know, personality. It has a personality to it. And I found myself thoroughly just enjoying wandering around the map and you never knew what you were going to come across, which characters you're going to find. I mean, it plays almost identical in the sense that, hey, you'll find, you know, random NPCs wandering along the street, traders, you know, you'll see people zooming by you on their ATVs. The highwaymen now are the bad guys that are involved, and they'll be also zooming down. Sometimes they'll pick fights with you. You'll find them randomly. The animals will still kill you because they're fucking vicious. The wolverines in this game are like the turkeys of the last game. Don't want to fuck around with them. <laughs> they are. They I are mean, mean, wolverines in general are not a thing you really want to fuck oh, around they fight, with. Oh, they fight, and they bite you in the crotch. Like, Ooh. literally, that's what they do. They just fucking grab on, and they're holding Spicy. on for dear life. Oh, yeah. Fucking perverts. So, anyway, I, like I said, I had a, a really good time with this game, more so with Far Cry 5, and I think that's because, obviously, the, the, the environments, the setting, it's a lot more bright, they're vibrant. And if you did play Far Cry 5, it's fun to see the buildings that I was surprised by how much I remembered that map. I saw this building. I'm like, oh, this is where that mission took place. And that's where that happened. And Jason was like, I don't remember any of this. He doesn't pay attention. <laughs> Jason, doesn't pay attention. Jason's like me in that. I'd be like, yeah, what? <laughs> 100%. You two are very similar in that regard. <laughs> so that was really fun um, and, and rewarding. And also, I just think the characters in this game are much more interesting. You know, you have the the, the twins, Mickey and Lou who are these uh, 
bad women. I, I almost said bad guys, but I was like bad gals, bad girls, bad boys, bad, bad boys. Bad boys. Yeah. What you gonna do? Yeah, what you gonna do? And when they come for you, bad and chicks, I just, bad chicks, bad chicks. They're bad chicks, <laughs> but not in like a in, in, in a. Uh, I'm not flattering them. Like they're they're real fucked up. Mm. But they they're so interesting, and I feel like. The whole situation, like, you know, suspend your belief for a bit, but it's more believable and it feels more realistic. Whereas in Far Cry 5, you had a lot of this weird bliss bullshit, right? And you're like, this is, this is kind of weird. And you'd be in these weird moments where you're walking down the hill and all of a sudden you get pelted with bliss and now you're high and somewhere else and hallucinating. And it was just kind of strange. So because of all the characters and because of the environment and in the way the dialogue's take, and I, I just thought it was a lot more immersive, a lot more entertaining, and I had a much better time with it. How long um, did it take you? We started on Friday and played pretty consistently and then finished it Monday night. By Monday night, we only had about two more missions to do. So it's, it definitely felt like a shorter game. We did, I took, I took a picture of all of the, um, our completion stats. Because I thought that might be, might be relevant. So, um, story missions, 22 story missions. We did all of those. We did six out of the eight side missions. We did 15 out of the 30 outposts. We did eight out of 10 treasure hunts, seven out of 21 expeditions. Now there are seven expeditions and these are the events where you hop in the helicopter and you are taken off to a different area. So maybe it's the theme park. Maybe it's a, a ship. Maybe it's an airplane crash. Maybe and what you do there is you 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 infiltrate, you find a package, and then you have to bug out and then wait for the helicopter to arrive. And when you're picked up, you get a whole bunch of important resources that are required in order to upgrade um, and build your weapons as you upgrade your weapons. Because there's three different classes of weapons, or four. I think it's three. And you need some materials you get from those, those um, oh God, what are they called? Expeditions in order to upgrade your stuff. So, and you can do those three different times. You have the first difficulty, second difficulty, and third difficulty. And obviously the third third difficulty is the highest one. So we did each expedition just once on the first difficulty and it was, it was no sweat at all. So you can go back and redo it and then the gameplay elements change a little bit depending on what difficulty you're doing. We got five out of the five specialists, eight out of the eight guns for hire. We did 23 out of the 30 perks. So we, there's 30 different perks you can unlock. I think we did, I think that's what that means. I'm not entirely sure what that means. Makes sense. Um, 40 out of 105 challenges, like in Far Cry 5, you do challenges, you unlock perk points. There's two different side quests where you have to take pictures throughout the map and then where you can find audio players. And there are 101 different locations that you can loot for materials. So and we did 19 out of the 101 of those. So what... We okay, so we had a really great time. The first couple of days, we just kind of wandered around. We took our time, you know. We were distracted a lot. If we were gonna try to get to this main campaign, we would stop and pivot and do some treasure hunts. Or if there was a side mission, we would stop and do that. We would loot an outpost because once you finish an outpost, it becomes a fast travel beacon for you. And if you upgrade your skill, is it called? I don't know. There's a specific skill. Then every location you encounter can also be fast traveled to. But until you have that, you know, the outposts are good for fast traveling. So we did, you know, most of the outposts once. We did a lot of the looting. We were gathering all the materials. But then once we we found once we had upgraded all of our weapons to the highest tier, all that appeal just kind of poofed. And then that was kind of it. Because it is all more or less the same with just different surroundings right 
it's okay. You're at this treasure location. Here's a hint of what you got to do. And you have to go do that thing. And it usually involves finding an underground bunker or whatnot. And you have to find the secret door to get down there. And it's all really fun and good. But we, we were played on normal difficulty. And once we found that we had the top tier weapons, it just, you know, it, it wasn't as fun anymore because you can also upgrade your health and you can upgrade other things. You know, the ability to craft Molotovs and whatnot or buy and buy materials. But once you, uh, you know, I'm sure if you play on the harder difficulties, that would become a necessity. But for us, it just really wasn't. And so you have your um, home base prosperity and you can upgrade that three times as well. And you upgrade it by unlocking guns for hire, by um, upgrading individual aspects of prosperity. So you have to do maybe five upgrades to prosperity before you can lock it to the second tier. And then once you upgrade it to the second tier, now you can start upgrading your weapons to the second tier or your health to the second tier. So it's all kind of locked behind um, upgrading. Not hard to obtain. You know, we max upgraded our, our health and our weapons, and it was... It was fun and it was fun and it wasn't super time consuming. Um, yeah, I mean, it did a lot of things better. It felt more streamlined. I guess there wasn't as much fluff. It didn't feel like. I think this game is $49, so it's not the full retail price of 60 I Maybe $40 would have been a more appropriate price tag, but either way. Is it if really you are, 49 That's a weird price. I think it I'm on. It's uh, $39.99, or let me see. That's what I thought, but I'm on the. Uh, on the PlayStation Store right now, and I'm pretty sure I saw it was forty nine ninety nine. Yeah, and I thought, interesting. Oh, yeah, let me know. Yeah, forty nine ninety nine. Oh, that's the deluxe edition. There we go. That makes more sense. So forty nine ninety nine is the deluxe edition. Thirty nine ninety nine is the uh, base game. Got it. So there you go. That makes more sense. So yeah, th- you know, I will say that, you know, as part of the story, this has been teased. So I'm not spoiling anything, but Joseph C does come back into play at some point during the story. And it was around that time that I also was kind of like, why? You know, I, why? And I'll just kind of leave it at that. For me personally, it, it kind of threw me off. It kind of took me out of, I was really invested in Mickey and Lou's story and that whole thing as the highwaymen, but then bringing Joseph back into it. And there's just those moments where you're thinking, why would you do this? If you are a smart human with a brain between your skull, like, why would you go along with this? Why would you put yourself in this position? And then some of the, bliss stuff kind of comes back into play and you're like why not not the annoying mechanics of being you know like ambushed right not that but just the fact uh, that it comes back at all yeah yeah i I could have done 17 years yeah leave it alone leave it alone but you know some of your favorite characters from far cry 5 do return boomer's um, back he was the he was the best character him cheeseburger and fucking peaches were the best Boomer would be long dead, sadly. <laughs> I mean, not with some radioactive shit. <laughs> That's true. But no, you do have new guns for hire, and some of them are interesting, and some of your favorite characters do come back. So what I would say is if you liked Far Cry 5, or if you even just like the gameplay of Far Cry 5, I would say Far Cry New Dawn will be right up your alley. You, you know, I think even you, Steimer, might enjoy it, because it did get rid of some of those things that you wanted to punt it into the sun for. No, I gave yeah, it to try it. Uh, I just want, I'm playing Crackdown right now. <laughs> yeah, so you're having a good time. So yeah, and there's a lot to do. You know, I didn't, I uncovered everything on the map in terms of the fog of war. There's not like chunks of the map that I haven't been to, but there's still a lot more I could do. And, you know, after the game's over, you can return to the map and do stuff. So, you know, and if there's, if it's, 
if you want to lose yourself and if you're the kind of person who just likes to roam around and discover and immerse yourself, like the, there is a lot for you to do here. And, um, you know, yeah, I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. I would, I would recommend it, especially if you want to play co-op with someone. There's a lot of content and the characters are, I really liked what they did with Mickey and Lou. I do wish we would have seen more of them. We do see a little bit and they are fascinating characters, but it's just kind of the thing where this, they kind of got skimmed over a little too much. Mm. I, I mean, you know, anyway, this isn't like a story driven RPG, right? But it would have been nice to have seen more of them. But all in all, I would definitely recommend this game. Um, I had a really fun time with it. Cool. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's, that covers most of the things I wanted to talk about. I just literally, so, I realized that all three of these are open world shooters. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think, <laughs> no, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I should cover on this, but I, I don't think so. I think I've covered like the, the most, yeah. Okay. We're good. All Next right, open world shooter. Next open world shooter. Now this is something you've been waiting for for a very, very long time. I've been a very good girl. I've waited. I've waited my turn. I yeah. finally got my crackdown. Okay. I, I have a code, but I haven't been able to play it. So tell me, tell me. I really dig it. Um, but again, I am a crackdown fan. Uh, and so I don't know. Take that with a grain of salt with what it is. Uh, granted, you can definitely tell how long this game spent in development. <laughs> Let's say that. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, but it feels like crackdown. It is. Um, sorry, I just realized that if you don't know what Crackdown is, it's okay. So Crackdown in general, <laughs> let me back up. Let me back up. Okay. Crackdown is an open world game. And for the most part, you play, uh, you're playing as a, basically a super agent. So you're kind of like a superhero. The art style is sort of, it's like, I would call it lightly cell shaded. Like it's not super yeah. cartoony, but there's definitely an element to it. The cutscenes are all given to you in like in a comic style presentation. Um, and really crackdown is best described as sort of a fuck you game. Like you can do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> blow shit up. It's just fucking fun. It's just meant to be a sandbox where you give zero fucks and do what you want to do when you want to do it. Uh, how it usually comes around is that there is a big bad in the form of corporate overlords in a city and you as the agent need to take it down but in order to take them down there's like a hierarchy of baddies that you need to get through first you will get intel on these baddies by completing certain mission types um and the game does a decent job just sort of showing you the formula of what you'll be getting yourself into within the first like 30 minutes of the game. The first 30 minutes is basically like, here's kind of what Crackdown is. <laughs> and uh, you collect orbs. So like, as you as an agent have different attributes. So you have agility, you have firearms, you have explosives, you have strength, and you have driving, which Ooh. is the worst of the five. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> well, no, it's just more. I hate driving. I never ever level up my driving. I don't give a fuck about driving in this game. <laughs> Some people might be like, "I love the driving in this game." It's just it's not it's not my not my not jam. For you. Um, how you level these things up? Each one's a little different. So the 
firearms explosive strength are things that you will level up by killing people in those ways. So by punching people to death, which is really fun, uh, or by using your explosive weapons or blowing things up nearby them to cause them to die or by just shooting them straight with your gun. Those are how you level all of those things up. Um, currently in the game, I'm level five in my firearms, which is pretty good. Uh, agility, however, is different than all of those. Agility level up with orbs and the orbs are fun. So like the orbs are just like glowy things on buildings and you have to figure out kind of how to get there. Once you get to a certain level, you kind of, it increases your ability to move around quickly. So at this point I have a double jump and a double dash in the air. So you can kind of get around pretty smoothly. Which how is, long have you been playing? I don't know. Hours wise. I played, um, I got my code last Friday? week, Friday, Thursday, and I, Friday. Thursday or Friday. And I've been playing, uh, over the weekend. I didn't play all weekend. I had some other things I was doing during the day, but I've definitely played some over the weekend. I've been playing at night. Um, when I come home from work, because it's just a fun game to wind down. That's what with. you were saying. You you were looking forward to having it after work. Yeah, it's been really <laughs> nice to just kind of smash. And you're like, all right, I just run around and I. <laughs> you set me up for that one, baby girl. I did. I did. I didn't mean to, but I did. Um, yes. Anyway, so the agility orbs are placed around. You you jump to go get them. As you collect them, you level that up. Uh, it's all about becoming more powerful and kind of more ridiculous in a lot of ways and just being super overpowered where you're just like destroying a whole fucking fleet of people. It's great. Um, on the map, all of these things, like I said, will open up. And so each icon is representative of a different baddie, which you need to take down. Um, once you do those little missions, the main boss becomes vulnerable. Then you go to them and kill them. Yes. However, yes. what's interesting about Crackdown, I would say, is that technically you can just go find these people and kill them. Like it's an open world and they don't really gate you in a lot of ways. Mm. Uh, and the only gate is that you'll die. <laughs> like you'll, <laughs> the gate That's is, a good gate. the gate <laughs> is that it's going to be real fucking hard for you to do the thing. And like each time you hover over, Anything on the map, like an icon of what you can do, it will give you a percentage chance that you have to complete this mission. So there was, there was a time where I had a guy on the map and it was like, you have a 12% chance of completing (laughs) this. And I was like, probably not going to go there then. I think I'm going to focus and level up my skills and go around and grab some agility orbs. And I think what I like about the game is that it has number one, like a really great core gameplay loop. You are, constantly feeling rewarded for what you're doing because you're leveling up those skills by doing the things. Uh, the orb, the agility orbs in general are super addictive to me. And I'm just like, Ooh, there's one. Ooh, there's one. So you just find yourself bouncing around the rooftops a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there are hidden orbs, which are purple question marks that are hidden low. So those are usually in a room somewhere or like they're, they're, they're just hidden the down below. They have a different noise than the agility orbs, but the orbs, it's an interesting thing. Cause you, you're, it's like you've been trained. So you hear it and you're like, Ooh, <laughs> where is it? I gotta go get it. Where is it? Where's the treat? Where's the treat? Where's the treat? I want the treat. Um, so you have things like that. <laughs> Some of the other missions to focus on more platforming. So, um, there are these giant towers 
that you take over with Terry Crews, which is great. Uh, and some of and those are have difficulty levels based on what your agility skill is at the time. And I just did one that was fucking hard. Oh. I didn't actually look at what the agility requirement was before I did it. I just started doing it. And I'd gotten... So there's different gadgets, too, that you can throw down. So you have three main weapons you can cycle between. You can make them whatever you want. Uh, and then you have a fourth slot, which is a gadget of some kind. So either a grenade, which is usually what I have. But then you can also unlock... They uh, have a jump pad. And they have a health circle boost thing and then left basically the same idea but for ammo reloading so depending on what you're going into you can kind of pick and choose so i took the jump pad with me i had to actually leave this tower and come back get the (laughs) equip the jump pad and then go and it was just like crazy all these things are rotating there's like a giant red walls that will kill you they won't they won't (laughs) kill you but they'll like knock you off yeah what i will say i appreciate is that uh with the towers once you reach a certain height it checkpoints you so even if you then fall down to your death you know you don't have to do the whole thing over you have to do like you start about halfway or wherever you were when you were dying Mm -hmm. which is great uh i i was so frustrated with this one though i was like god damn it i didn't look it was probably like you should be a agility level five (laughs) or something but you did it anyway anyway. i said fuck this Here's this jump pad. It will help me. Uh, and you just like fly straight up and it's great. Perfect. Um, yeah. So crackdown is just kind of stupid, simple fun. I didn't get to play. So they had some sessions today, actually Wednesday for the multiplayer stuff. However, I was at work all day, so I did not get to join any of these sessions. So I don't really know what the wrecking zone is like or anything about the multiplayer aspects of this game. I know that they exist and that's about it. I would have to, I'll be basically jumping into any of that with the rest of the world when the game comes out because those servers are not populated, (laughs) but it's true. But also I don't personally care that much about those. It's not what crackdown is to me. What crackdown Mm -hmm. is to me is just Hulk smash. Hulk smash. Oh yeah. When you get the ability to jump up and then, push b and just you ground pound down it's so fun and everyone just like oh because the people die like their bodies just become little orb when their body's still there but the orbs fly out and it's different colors based on how you killed them so a whole bunch of like little blue orbs will fly out if you just shot him or it'll be a mix of blue and red if you punched him and shot him oh because that's how you level up that's how you level up the skills because the little orbs constantly are feeding you and giving you the feel goods of like yes yes sustain me sustain me with your life blood Hopefully real humans don't start producing orbs or Samir will come try to kill us all. So I she can get her 100% what I need to level up. <laughs> so I guess my question for you would be, has it lived up to what you wanted it to be? I mean, I don't think you've had incredibly high expectations anyway about for this game. Yeah. I think you just wanted it for the stupid fun. So does it satisfy that? Yes. And I think, again, I think if you were like expecting the world, you're going to be disappointed. But if you were expecting a better looking crackdown game you're getting a better looking crackdown game that's just not to say i'll still say i feel like the city is still kind of blocky ish like i'm not crazy about the way the city itself looks it's fine there's nothing wrong with it um but it's mostly just like i said i can kind of tell that this was an older game that that took a little it limped to the finish line a little bit but 
the gameplay wise, it's still really fun. There was something else that I, I kind of wish it had, uh, a bit more audio for you in, in the gaps. So what I mean by that is between missions, a lot of what I'll do to not drive, go myself, like drive myself crazy is I'll then go hunt around for orbs for a bit. But while you're hunting for orbs, granted, I think a reason why they do it is because you need to listen, especially for the hidden orbs. You need to be listening for a weird sound uh, or you'll miss it. However, I'm like, I kind of wish that there was a way to put some music on or something. What I did, I just played my own music, <laughs> but like so, what, to like huh. groove to, right? Like when you're like, I'm just yeah. going to hunt around for agility orbs. Now the game feels quiet as fuck when you're doing that. Again, I believe it's by design so that you can listen and find where the orbs are or have a better... Because it's, it's very directional. You'll know when you even just mm. turn if you're getting closer or farther away from the from the orb. So I assume you're playing with headphones? No. Oh, you're not? Okay. It's still good. Still good. Still, okay. still can figure all so, that out from the TV. So, interesting. So these... Are they ever marked on the map when you stumble across one or you get near one? Or is it never... It's all audio. Oh, oh audio was that piece. in the last one too? Yeah. Oh, okay. So that's the thing. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Cool. Yeah, you well, have dude, to kind of use your ears as like, where is this thing? It's really frustrating when you can't figure out where it is, but you hear it. There was one that was taunting me in this fucking tower. I still don't know where it was. I could just hear the orb. And um oh, so I should also say, so there's two main narrators one is new that I won't talk about. The other one is your traditional crackdown guy. He talks to you. Uh, he's got such a smooth voice. It's really pleasant <laughs> to listen to. Uh, so he's back and like yelling at you basically in a kind way, yelling at you like, go get that orb agent. And you're like, okay, I'll go get that orb. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then there's somebody else that he, he then kind of banters with and it's nice. Um, so overall, I really like it. And, the thing that is best of all is that this shit's in Game Pass, so it's ten bucks. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Go yeah, get yourself a Game Pass and try it. I think if you are looking for Hulk Smash fun, that is Crackdown for you. Uh, and it's just again, it's got uh, got a simple gameplay loop. It is a, this is a simple game. I'm not going to sit here and game. blow smoke up your ass and tell you that it has the most amazing story of all time or the most amazing graphics of all time. It has neither of those things. Uh, but it has a lot of heart. So, yeah, I guess that would be my next question because me, I'm more of someone who wants a story to go along with the Hulk smash. There's is a there, story. Is uh, it good enough, you think, to justify putting in the time to play this? I wouldn't play this for the story, personally. Okay. There is it's a story the- there, and actually it's kind of relating back to pre- prior Crackdown games. Um, mm-hmm. But overall, like the story is never the strong suit here. You kind of sure. get to know um, the baddies are fleshed out as you, as you learn, get more intel on them. You kind of learn a little bit about them, but then you just go kill them, so... <laughs> okay, no, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, obviously, not all games are about the story. It's about the gameplay and the smashing. So that's yeah. This is about, this game is about the smashies, the smashies, the smashies, the, smashies, the shooties, the jumpies, <laughs> the orbies, the orbies. It's the about all of those wonderful things. It's a nice mishmash of crushing shit, collecting shit, feeling baller. It's, uh, I just really, really, it's a, it's a game that just makes you happy when you play it. Um, 
for maybe sometimes inexplicable reasons, but mostly the, awesome. mostly the smashies. <laughs> I am so happy that you finally you finally have this game. And I, I will say, like, I like the size of the world. It's not fucking like ginormous. This is a completable game. I feel like I'm getting to the point where it sort of is going to tip, and I'll be able to like knock out everybody fairly, not quickly, but can kind of go through them faster. Because there's definitely a, a little bit of a level grind as you're, you're like baby level one can barely do anything. And then now I'm almost, I'm level five in firearms, four on most, and then two and a half on driving because I don't drive. I literally yeah. just run around this game. I just, I, there, run, I run through the streets. Is there a limit on the level cap? Or is like, there is, five? there is a max level. Uh, five is not the max level. I actually oh, okay. don't remember what the max level is. I don't think it's just six, but, um, so as, cause as you unlock per level, you get a new perk or a new thing unlocks. So for firearms, like a new gun will unlock for agility, you get the double jump or you get a dash and then you get the double dash. Um, for explosives, I believe you also get guns for strength. Uh, it helps bolster you a little bit. Um, and driving, I wouldn't know because I don't fucking do it. But Gosh, there are, if you do really like driving in video games, it's not bad. It's just, I personally yeah. don't like driving a lot in games. And what they have to level it up driving there, my, the reason my driving is leveled at all is because of the hidden orbs. The hidden orbs level up all of your skills. Oh. Uh, which is why they're really great to find. But, the driving you'll do with either races or stunts. They have like jumps that you have around the world that that's how you get orbs there. There's also agility races and shit that you can try and get the best time to get again, more orbs <laughs> to level all your about the shit orbs. up. It's all about the orbs, baby. Um, but yeah, that's crackdown. I'm playing it. Yay! I'm enjoying it. I will definitely finish it. And that was, I guess, will probably be the. No, didn't I beat another game? I was gonna say it's gonna be the first game I beat in 2019, but that might be wrong. I feel like you finished another game. I feel like I did too. And we were all. It was on the Switch, right? Oh, it was no. Gris. Yeah, it was Gris. I, yeah, I Gris. there it is. Look at you, Stimer. Look at you. You're oh my gonna god! Gonna... Two games this year. Oh my god! What? Who am I? No, listen. This is real life. This is what happens. This is what happens when you get old <laughs> when... and you have a job and you're just like. <laughs> When you're an adult, this is what you, this is what it is. It's fine. Everything's fine. Oh, well, I'm really, I'm really happy for you. Do you do you think this has any contender for game of the year material no. in any category? No, okay. no. Poor, poor that's, sweet baby squirrel. That's not what this game is, and that's okay. No. Yeah, that's fine. That's totally fine. Yeah, it's, it's, I can it's, still. Lo- I love it for what it is, and yeah. I, I think um, going into it, that's why I do want to set people's expectations with that. I'm not trying to overhype this shit, but no. what I am trying to say is that it's just fucking fun. There you go. It'll be it'll be one of Steinberg's personal game of the years in the best fucking fun category. Yes. Best it's fucking girl. fun category. Speaking of something that sounds miserable mostly in terms of setting, <laughs> tell me all about Metro Exodus. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Oh, you're <laughs> Oh my goodness, you're talking about fun. And then I know the top of the segment, you're like, I'm not really looking forward to that. So I was wondering how you were gonna pivot that and you did good. Okay, so Metro Exodus is, yeah, this, okay, disclaimer. I know close to nothing about this series, about this franchise. The only reason I was interested in this was because Andrea was talking about it, oh god, a few episodes ago when she was talking about her preview event and 
she hyped it for me and I was like, okay, I'm going to hop into this. So all of my impressions and thoughts are coming from someone who knew nothing about this game, about the series, about the characters, about the world. So it's not going to be the most like, and this is not going to be like a Resident Evil 2 preview thing for me. It's not going to happen. So I haven't finished this game yet. I'm, like I said, maybe seven to nine-ish hours in, maybe a little less. Um, I've heard that the main story, if you just go at the campaign, 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 campaign can be 10 to 12 hours, but you can easily spend more if you do like the side stuff and do the collectibles and blah, blah, blah. Okay. So Metro Exodus, and I don't know how much of this has been revealed in the trailer, so I'm not going to go too deep into story, but essentially... Some shit has gone down and you've been living underground for a very long time, but you think you hear voices or you think you heard a radio transmission of someone. So you are constantly, um, Artyom is your character. You're constantly going to the surface in order to try to find this signal, just a little bit of hope to cling on, to cling on to. And that's what you're doing. And then that leads down a certain chain of events, of course. And then you find yourself doing a whole bunch of stuff. So... And then you're like, there's a world up here. Yeah. So, because I don't want to go into the story or the characters too much because I don't know how much, I I just don't know. Um, I will say, and this might be a comparison that people might roll their eyes to because they are vastly different games, but it kind of gives me the same feeling as when I hopped into Wolfenstein for the first time. And I really, what was the latest one called? Wolfenstein. The New Order? No. Was that it? Was that it? Was that the latest one? There's, I think, I think so. I I can't keep this shit straight. Uh, let's look. Wolfenstein, the new order was the 2014 game. Shit. No. Uh, the oh. new Colossus? Yes. I think that was, was that it? Yeah, yes, that was that's it. it. Wolfenstein, the new Colossus. Okay. So I also hopped into Wolfenstein, the new Colossus blind as a bat to the whole series. I didn't know anything about, about it, but I, it kind of gives me that same feeling and sense of how the game kind of plays, how you have missions and then you have some downtime in the central hub where you get to talk to these characters and watch them organically interact and kind of grow and bond with them. And then you go on a mission and then you can come back and interact with them. And it kind of gives me those same feels as Wolfenstein did. And that's a very good thing. So obviously Metro Exodus, I'm so glad Andrea talked about this when she was mentioning about her preview event. It's a survival game. It's not like you're going to have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of excess rounds with you at every single time because it's not, that's not how this game goes. So this is obviously a post-apocalyptic game, post-apocalyptic game, and it's all about crafting and surviving. And they take that to the very real, very real level in the sense that ammo is scarce, health packs, crafting materials. Like you're not going to find these things anywhere and everywhere. So that was, there was an adjustment period for me because although Andrea had mentioned that, I guess I wasn't aware of like to what extent that is the fucking truth of how this game plays because I'm used to games where you have enough ammo where you can just take everything down. The last survival game I played was Resident Evil 2 and I had more than enough ammo to kill all the zombies. Oh no, you'll be running a lot from the mutants and the beasts and everything else in this damn game because they are vicious and they do not go down easily. There are four different modes. There's baby-ass baby mode, baby-baby-ass baby mode, which is the level from down from baby-ass baby mode, so, like, super easy. You have the normal mode and the hardcore mode. Um, I started on baby-ass baby mode because I, I've said many times I'm not very good at shooters. I'm not good at having accurate things, accurate bullets go into parts of the enemy. But like you the were head. confident enough to not go baby-baby mode. Right. Okay. So I hopped into baby-ass baby mode, and... That's been a challenge for me. I won't even pretend like I'm breezing through it because I'm not. Because there's no um, auto 
auto aim feature, you know, mm-hmm. where like, it's kind of like, woohoo, but that's not a thing. Ooh, anyway. Crackdown has that. Well, it's not really, it's just, it, it snaps to your targets. You might like that. Yeah, there we go. Perfect. That's what I need in my life. Cause I'm not playing this game to get frustrated and, and angry. I'm playing it to enjoy the story. Anyway, Metro Exodus, yeah, these, the, these watchmen, these beasts, these mutants, they do not go down easily. And you are, it is the kind of game where you will have to run more often than not. At least I did when I'm getting past this learning curve of having low ammo, um, and just not a lot of crafting components. So you do have to do a lot of crafting on this, on the fly in this game as well. I want to say there are 12 different D-pad functions, depending if you're holding L1 or R1. Um, if you hold L1, I believe you get, no, okay, sorry, let me go back. Let me back up. That makes no sense. If you press L1, you have your D-pad, like up, down, left, right. It'll equip something else. And then you'll have your, uh, I'm playing on PlayStation 4, so your triangle, square, circle, um, what's the other thing? Triangle, square, circle, square. And then that'll do something. And if you hold R1, then you get more of those button options. So there's the X. The X. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, you said square twice. <laughs> Buttons are hard, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Buttons are hard. So there's a lot going on in terms of okay so there's been more than one moment where i've kind of sat there and i'm like okay i need to equip my lighter and then i need to equip my weapon and then i need to equip my molotov like how do i do that again it's not like you have a radial menu where you have 12 different things at once where you can just kind of you know pivot over to and select and it equips it you have to you know kind of remember like but now i'm I'm getting it now slowly but surely you just looked like a crab person right there Oh, did I? Yeah, you did like a weird <laughs> crab. A weird crab. Crab people. Yes. Have you ever seen that South Park episode? Yes, I oh have. It's my fucking favorite. I, I cry laugh every time I watch that episode. It makes me laugh. Um, okay, yeah. So this is all like, cause I know there are a lot of people out there who have also never played Metro game before. And so they're wondering, how can I just jump into it? So from a gameplay perspective and a buttons perspective and, and, and how you fucking get around and move and do the things, like expect a learning curve. Um, expect an adjustment period. It's not a bad thing. It's not so obscure you won't get it. It's just a little different than we're used to. It's not your typical FPS, right? Where it's just pretty much cut and dry. If you've played one, you can play them all. This definitely doesn't play that way. Um, the wasteland itself is the map. It, the map looks large-ish, but the, you move rather quickly, so it's not hard to cover the ground you have to get to. And it's not like there are. It sounds like in Crackdown, you know, there are obstacles where you have to figure out, okay, how am I going to get to that point? How am I going to do this thing? Um, <clears throat> in Metro, it's not that way at all. So it's pretty cut and dry. And how you find landmarks is you use your binoculars and you get a little audio cue and then it'll mark stuff on your map. And then there are little question marks and then you can run over there and figure out what they are. And most often than not, it's either an enemy, like an enemy base where you're going to have weird mutant, like, birthing areas or shit i don't know what's Gross. going on or like yeah, a nest or say like a nest <laughs> birthing areas what the <laughs> like what the fuck <laughs> well because they're all these like do holes they have the their ground. lamaze classes there <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking that's a weird ass mental image of all these mutants push anyway push push <laughs> that was the <laughs> yeah, oh my god we're so crazy off the rails let's go off the rails um or it's a safe house where you can find a whole bunch of components and do your crafting and craft uh bullets or clean your weapons and assemble all of your weapons i'm still dabbling into the weapon crafting because it's there's some weird ass shit you can do but it you know 
pretty similar to most crafting systems in the sense that you find a weapon and it has components on it and then you can strip that and then add it to another weapon and you can kind of build some pretty crazy concoctions from what I've seen in the trailers and whatnot. So anyway, this all kind of comes down to, again, I'm a noob to the series and these are the interesting kind of, I don't want to call them struggles, but it's been the adjustment period that I've gone through. So to tie all that up, when it comes to how the game plays, just have some patience and you'll be fine. So as far as the story and the characters go, like I said, I don't want to go too much into it, but when I first hopped into the Metro, into the Metro, into Metro Exodus, it took, I would say a good like 45 minutes before I felt like I kind of had a grasp on what was going on and it hooked me because it definitely did feel like I was hopping into a world I knew nothing about that I should have maybe known something about. Mm. I didn't quite understand who these people were, why I should care. They throw a lot of characters at you at once, which I'm sure if you play the other games, you're like, oh, that's so cool. You know, that's awesome. Maybe like in Wolfenstein or something or a Mass Effect game, you kind of get it immediately. But if you haven't, it definitely felt like there was quite a disconnect there. And I found myself playing for me 10 minutes at a time, pausing it, going to do something, coming back. Cause I didn't, I wasn't hooked. I wasn't into it. I wasn't immersed into it. I was just like, okay, this is kind of a drag to get through because I don't understand what's really happening. I don't understand this world. But now after the first like 45 minutes to an hour, you get it, you understand what's happening. And then you're like, okay, this clicks and this makes sense. And I'm really enjoying how the game definitely takes time to pause and, and, and have you bond with these characters. Now, I mean, I could be totally wrong. These characters might be completely new to the series. I have no fucking clue, but I have a feeling they're not. Anyway, so I really like how there are those moments where you are, let's say, on a train, for example, and you have all these characters around you, and they're just having like a five to seven minute cutscene just playing out, right? It's not a cutscene. It's a, it's a, an in-game sequence. Yeah, thank you. An in-game sequence. It's kind of like the ones in Red Dead Redemption we would talk about, right? It's sort of that sense where these characters are just bantering back and forth. You get to, they're showcasing their personality. You know, they're involving you. And it's like, okay, and now I understand what these characters are about. And now I'm bonding with them. And each one has their very own distinct personality. And I know people are probably going to die in this game. And, and I'm already going to be sad about it because I'm, I'm attached to them now. I wish they would have killed them off in the beginning when I gave no fucks, but now I have fucks to give and I'm, I'm kind of upset by it. I'm giving um, out all of my fucks to you. It's a little, it's a little weird that Artyom doesn't speak. He doesn't talk. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he narrates in between cutscenes. You know, he's like, okay, this is a thing, not cutscenes. Um, when you move on to like a next part of the game, the next segment, you know, when you go from point A to point B and it's loading, you know, he'll say, okay, this is the thing we did. And this was really cool. This is my personal feelings on it. And this is what I'm looking forward to, what I'm scared of. And then he doesn't talk at all during the gameplay. And then he only speaks again when, you know, you're kind of loading between Wait, segments. So is that, kind of, it's kind of like Wolfenstein then, right? But Wolfenstein, do you talk? I don't remember. Yes. Oh, you BJ. do? Maybe I'm just yeah. on crack. He doesn't say a lot, but I, I, I'm trying to remember. But I remember he, he, he'll be talking and he'll mumble things to himself. Oh, that's right. He does. Sorry. I yeah. lied. It's fine. You know, don't lie. Well, it's fine. more of you like, I, I feel like you, you, obviously you hear the most from BJ when it is between those loadings. Right. Or- yeah. And it's kind of that. Yeah. But you, Artyom does not speak. And so it, I kind of wish he did because I think that was part of the reason why the disconnect was so evident in the beginning was I didn't care about I, who, who is this character? Who am I? I? I am a ghost. Who are you? He's a ghost. And you know, you have a wife in this game and she's really like cute and fun and spunky, but you know, he's <laughs> and then the like next thing. to your dry ass is just like, what? I know. <laughs> I mean, 
I've seen his hands. He has nice hands and arms and he has legs. I'm like, all right, this is me. But, uh, so she's yeah. just in it for the sex because the conversation ain't good. Oh, no. No. <laughs> she could be i don't know <laughs> huh, i'm pondering that and probably a little harder than i should yeah it's I mean, the apocalypse you become way less picky i would imagine yeah, probably yeah well no i think and that's the thing i think they have a really rich history because he does have a diary where he again he doesn't talk but he writes down all these thoughts in a diary and he talks about every time you learn something new about a character you know he'll jot down like a paragraph of information about it so he's talking about his wife anna and how you know she's this the the God, is he a colonel? I think colonel's daughter and she's a badass and he's definitely didn't think he'd be good enough for her, but she, you know, loves him and he loves her and blah, blah. So, you know, there's a history there. It's just, you know, you don't really know about it unless you were to read the diary. But again, if, if, you're, if you're a noob like me, the game does stand on its own after, you know, like I said, 45 minutes to an hour, you start learning and bonding with these characters. And I would encourage you to not rush through every mission or watch, rush through every area, every area, but to take, take the time to watch other characters interact, you know, kind of like off the record kind of conversations that don't mean anything to the story, but it brings you insight because you need it. If you're a new character or a new player, I'm trying to think if there's anything really else, not, not really. I'm having a great time with it, though, overall. Do you I know mean, it, what baby baby ass mode would do for you? Would it make it less survival focused? Do you think I'm you thinking, maybe have more ammo? I think, yeah, I think you find more crafting materials. I'm sure the enemies are weaker. Um, kind of like with what Resident Evil did with the assist mode. You know, gotcha. more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm assuming that's what it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm having a really, I'm having a really fun time with it. It did take, like I said, a little bit to click, but now that it has, I'm, Super duper enjoying it, and I'm going to try to finish it before I fly out on Friday. There, some of the story elements. Thanks. All right, that's never going to happen. Some of the story elements are a little predictable. Um, there is a thing that everyone was really excited about, and I'm like, do you guys not see the writing on the wall? Like, this is definitely not going to work out. This the way is definitely you think it is. bad. This is very a very <laughs> bad idea, and because everyone's too happy, too optimistic, and there's anything oh, yeah, we've learned. Totally. In, then there's something gonna, something's gonna go wrong, and sure as shit, something went wrong, and I was frustrated that no one was like, hmm, maybe we should be a little careful about this, but again, I guess that's just the, when you have a, a story, a narrative driven story that you have no input on, that's kind of what happens. This isn't a Bioware <laughs> game. I can't tell you to go, go the fuck away, and this is a bad idea. It would, even if you could, it would be like, but I'm gonna do it anyway. I'm gonna do it. I don't I know, know why true. I just went into sort of a Mickey Mouse voice there. <laughs> I need. Oh, I'm gonna do it anyway. Oh, yeah. yeah. Really so bad. I'm sure. I know Andrea's been playing. She texted me and said she was up to like two in the morning over the weekend at some point playing it. So I know she's. For anyway, she was back then really enjoying it. I'm sure she, whenever she gets home, if she ever gets home, seriously, she'll, she's been gone forever. <laughs> she'll she'll play it and she'll probably have more veteran knowledge to drop on your asses. But in the meantime, yeah, this newbie, I'm enjoying it. It's a good time. Cool. Wow. This was a beefy, meaty episode. Especially Stammer. considering there's only two of us. Yeah, I just feel like a lot has been happening over the past it's couple beginning weeks. Beginning of the year. It's, get, it's Yeah, it's always really crazy at the beginning of the year. I find it anyway. Yeah, there has been a ton, a ton, a ton to talk about. But it's fun. We like talking about video games. That's why we, we do it. But ladies and gentlemen, I think... I think that's it for this week's episode i think we covered all of our housekeeping at the top of the show but in case you forgot in case you're like 
what the hell am I listening to? Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> you are listening to the What's Good Games podcast. Oh, fuck, I forgot my the intro. Your number one source for video games, news, analysis, commentary, and funny stuff. Well, now you can make it the outro. Now it's the outro. Thank you so, so much for listening. Simon and I appreciate your eardrums and your eyeballs if you're on YouTube.com slash What's Good Games. Is it eardrums? Is that what we appreciate or the ear holes? You know what? We appreciate all of you, not just your body parts. (laughs) And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, I'll be gone next week, but Simon and Andrew will be here, and we will see you very soon. We do appreciate your body parts, though. Bye! Mostly for harvesting so that we can get some good, sweet money on the black market, yo! (laughs) Totally leaving that in. (laughs) 